Yo, what's going on, everyone? It's Brian and Jim here with Drink a Beer and Play a Game, and we're doing kind of a little pre-intro here because we have Hannah Goaty with Naked Brewing Company on our podcast today, but we wanted to make sure we hit up all your Patreon questions, so we actually have that at the end of the audio and video. There's a timestamp below if you want to skip ahead to those, but we wanted to make sure we let you guys know we still got your questions in. We didn't forget! Yeah, so make sure, stay tuned for that. Either way, enjoy the rest of the episode. Hannah, Cheers, guys. Great guest. Yep. Cheers. Yo, what's going on, everyone? It's Brian and Jim here with Drink a Beer and Play a Game, and welcome to another episode of the Power Hour. Yes, welcome to episode 92, and we are we have a guest. We have a special guest, and we're actually branching out for once, getting away from all the video games as we normally do. Harping in on that beer side of drink a beer or play a game because we have the head brewer of the Naked Brewing Company with us tonight. Her name is Hannah Goaty, and she is joining us out of the kindness of her heart. Hannah, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Uh, just uh, you know, it's a rainy, crappy day. It's a Monday, and we're gonna drink some pretty good beers because uh, really excited to have you on. This thank is- you, thank you, thank you for having me. <laughs> So tonight we, we kind of coordinated something Jim and I very rarely do, but knowing that we had uh, special beers from your brewery, uh, we decided we were going to start with Way to My Heart. And, um, you know, Jim and I, we usually give our very unexpert opinion on beers and talk about it and what we can expect or what you can taste, but we wanted to hear your side and, you know, have you walk us through the beer itself and maybe give us any stories behind the brewing process for this one. Yeah, so Way to My Heart um, was actually a collaboration with the University of Sciences in Philadelphia. Um, they have a brewing science program and uh, the department had uh, Dr. Farber, Matt, um, is a good friend of mine. I've gotten to know him over the years. And um, the yeast that was used to do this beer, so it's a, a sour, a cheesecake inspired sour ale with cherries. So like cherry cheesecake. Um, the yeast that was used in this is super unique and it was actually um, found, discovered um, <laughs> by one of the brewing science uh, program students a couple years ago. So as part of their curriculum, students are instructed to go out and culture yeast off of uh, plants or objects, things that are outside. Um, and then they bring it back into the lab and they grow it up, uh, propagate it and see if it is viable for fermenting beer. And a lot of times it's mediocre, it might work, might not work, might produce some weird flavors and whatever. And in this particular case, um, the yeast did ferment beer. And what's super unique about this is that it is a lactic acid producing yeast, but it doesn't have any bacteria in it. Um, So normally when you are drinking a sour ale, whether it is a traditional long-term sour or um, a new age or kettle sour that um, you see at a lot of breweries, uh, it's that sour component comes from the use of lactobacillus, which produces lactic acid. So lactobacillus is a bacteria. Um, it naturally occurs like in our gut, um, it's a probiotic, uh, but in terms of brewing, 
you want to avoid getting that lactobacillus into other beers because um, then you potentially get sour beers that are not intended no. to be sour. <laughs> um, so it can be a little dicey for some breweries to use, but um, in the case of this yeast strain, um, it is super, super, super unique because like I said, it is a lactic acid producing yeast strain. Um, it was discovered on or cultured from a dogwood tree in a cemetery in West Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> so after a couple of years, the Brewing Sciences Program ran all their bench trials and um, they actually approached uh, some yeast companies with it and uh, they hold a patent for it. Um, and Lollamond, which is a commercial yeast company, holds the trademark now on it. Um, so it's uh, part of their Wild Brew series. It's the Philly Sour Yeast. Um, nice. So, yeah, it's super unique. Uh, fun fact. <laughs> um, I was the first person that Matt approached about doing an official like U Sciences collab with this yeast. Um, now we're not the first brewery to use that yeast. Uh, the Larimer for sure uses it. Um, and several other breweries have, and it's commercially available. So I know people all over the country have used it. Um, some Facebook groups that I'm part of uh, have international members and I know some of them have used it too. So, um, not the first brewery to use it, but the first ones to actually collab with U Sciences, which um, I didn't know until partway through the brew day. And I'm glad Matt didn't tell me that because I was super nervous going into the day, even <laughs> though Matt is my friend. Um, and like, we're like legit good friends. We talk about things not just beer related. Um, but I was so terrified that because I didn't want to be an example of what not to do in one of his classes. Right. So, <laughs> um, so I was really nervous, but, uh, the day turned out wonderfully and, um, you know, Matt's just a, a really good person and their whole program is awesome. Um, so yeah. I'll tell you right now, you telling me all that makes me think, why the hell did we waste our time going to school for mechanical engineering when we could have went to college for much more fun shit? Because yeah. that sounds much better. <laughs> right, right. Um, well, actually, so it's funny that you say that because, um, so I have a master's degree in environmental science and I've never done anything with it. Um Naturally. I ended up in the yeah, I ended up in the beer industry, <laughs> um, but I actually I and you know maybe we'll end up touching on this a little bit later. But um, if I had known when I was trying to decide what I was going to do for the rest of my life at sixteen, you know, when you're like applying for college and visiting all these schools, um, if I had known that brewing beer was an option or even anything in that realm, I mean that's just. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just like mind blowing. Um, but I didn't even know that that was a thing. Um, so yeah, it's, it's cool. Um, there's definitely a lot of science that goes into it. Oh, it's, it's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, people I think take for granted the work that goes into it. Cause you know, you see all these, Oh, buy your own, make your own brew kit at home and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and obviously I think a lot of people do start off in your garage or just making a few simple barrels and the, like you're saying the science and, and once you scale it up, the amount of chemistry and everything else that goes into it, it is 
I mean, Jim, do you remember the name of the brewery in Tennessee? It was Tennessee Brew Works. We were able to meet with the head brewer there, and mm-hmm. she was a doctor of what microbiology, something like that. Yeah, and and, and she had written thesis. Like it was, it was, it was amazing. And yeah, here's a doctorate, like telling mm-hmm. us about the molecular. And I'm, I, it was blowing our minds. Like what the hell? Like, we're just, we're just saying they're going, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, yeah. Uh-huh. It's beyond impressive when you get to that level, and it yeah, sounds like absolutely. the fact that you got to collab—that's that's pretty damn amazing. Yeah. And I gotta say, first couple sips right off the bat, what really strikes me as crazy from all the sours I have is there's an immediate, like almost creamy feel to this beer. And yeah. <laughs> the, cher- the cherry hits you, and the vanilla like just finishes it off. And it's not super tart. Like, there's the obvious sour tartness. But, like, that creaminess is something I would never expect to feel from. Like, and, and is that from that yeast you were telling us about? So, um, so the way this beer actually came to be. Um, so, I got a text message from Matt one day. And he said, hey, um, I have this good, bad idea, but I want it to be your good, bad idea. And I was like, okay. Let's go like, to a cemetery. I, yeah. <laughs> he was like, he was like, I want to brew um, a cheesecake inspired sour ale using the Philly East strain. And I go, okay. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah, okay. Uh, cheesecake is my favorite food in the world. So not hard to convince me of that. <laughs> he was like, oh, Okay, so the reason why he had initially approached me, one, obviously because we were friends, but two, um, the in his mind, the base style for this was going to be a cream ale, which is my favorite style of beer in the world. So, uh, he can was we like, give a little plug for your Buck Naked Ale that we got as well uh-huh. and just had? Yeah. Super, yeah. yeah, I really, really enjoyed that one as well. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, thank we you. drank that real quick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the point of that beer. <laughs> yes. Um, cre- yeah, I mean, cream ale is my favorite style. Uh, Jenny Cream is probably my favorite go-to, always, always in style beer for me. Mm-hmm. Um, unpopular as it may be for me to say that, I don't really care. <laughs> I was gonna say because I saw that when you did your interview with uh, breweries in PA, their buddies uh-huh. of ours on Twitter, and I saw wait. Jenny Cream Ale, isn't Genesee like the in the cheap section and everything like that? Like that was the last thing I was expecting to see, but I was like, yep. all right. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean Brew it's the people. just a yeah, it's just a really solid good beer. Um it tastes like nostalgia and good times. <laughs> so <laughs> And once you mentioned once you mentioned Lion's Head, like especially for Brian and I, like oh, that was yeah. our college beer. Oh yeah. Um I- <laughs> Lion's Head because for like Twelve dollars, you get twenty-four beers that's, and twenty-four puzzles. That's fucking right. That's, yeah. Okay. Can you answer me this one question? I always had, and people thought I was crazy. I I love love Lion's Head, but I do notice, especially with the regular lager, it it almost has like a melted butter popcorn flavor. There's something I don't know what that is, but yeah. like, can you just like? So I don't get it in Lion's Head all the time. Um, no. But what you are tasting, and it's not, that is not just limited to Lion's Head. Um, you can actually have that appear in any beer style. 
Most often you do see it come about in lagers though. Um, and it is a fermentation byproduct. It's called diacetyl. Um, very low levels are acceptable in some beer styles like an ESB. Mm -hmm. um, it's acceptable for a very, very low level um, of diacetyl to be present in that. But in general, that is a flaw and not something that you want in beer. Um, oh, so I'm not just crazy. There is no. a definite flavor. Okay. Cause that's what yeah. like people would never hear. Like you said. So what's, what's even funnier about that is, um, like movie theater, butter popcorn mm -hmm. is actually intentionally it's made with diacetyl. Like that is a, like, that's a thing. Oh, um, so it really is like, it's a, like, it's a component. Yeah. 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 It's oh, like a, a chemical component. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm, I'm going to take that as a win because some too many people told me I was crazy. I was like, I no, 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 no. Like you're that. definitely, you're definitely not crazy. <laughs> um, but here's the thing is some people are very sensitive to diacetyl and other people are not. Mm. Um, so I, I'm pretty sensitive to diacetyl, but I, I actually get it as a mouthfeel first. It's like a very slick, but almost like your tongue is coated. Like, again, if you think about movie theater, butter, popcorn, yeah. how, like how, greasy. Yeah, but it's 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 even more than that. It's almost like this waxy. It's just it's a. It like coats you right away. Yeah, when you feel it, you're like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, I I tend to perceive that before I get the actual flavor, um, but I'm I'm pretty sensitive to it. Some people are uber sensitive to it, and then other people, it takes a pretty high amount of it even before they actually get it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you're not crazy on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just liked when you were describing it, like, as you were building up to it, like, eventually, like, the brewmaster came out. Because as I was going, I was like, is she about to say we were drinking poison this whole time? <laughs> She's like, it's got these very small, acceptable, barely acceptable limits. I was like, oh, crap. I drank so much of this. We're dying. <laughs> yeah. Was I drinking cyanide or something? Yeah. Like, <laughs> no. Oh, crap. Oh, crap. It really was 12 bucks a case. Oh, no. <laughs> No, yeah, no, no. It's called diacetyl. Um, so and that's yeah, one you're, of those things. I I love that you you know. It seems like especially we said we're buddies with people in breweries, breweries and PA, and a lot of beer, you know, enthusiasts. And it's funny how much hatred you can get for loving beers like that. And I I never understand. Number one, I'm like, Who like cares? what you like. Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly right. There's a time and a place for every beer that is produced. Um, I are some way better than others yes absolutely um mm -hmm. but the people that want to so and this is just a a personal thing for me i do not like the term beer snob it's not something i would ever call myself um if somebody chooses to use that term for themselves that's completely fine embrace it I, whatever uh it's just not something that i that i feel comfortable with because like I said, I think that there's a time and a place for every beer in this world. Like, I can get down on some Jenny Cream, Lion's Head, and PBR, and like rock on, man. Yeah. And you know, I can in the same sitting, um, I can you know be drinking Cantillon and Tilquin and Russian River and anything else that you know is top tier. So, um, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to show up to a bottle share where you know it's like all these all the whales, bro. Um, <laughs> and I show up with a case of Jenny cream and people just look at me and I'm like, yep. And I tell you what, 
in an hour, you're going to be begging me for one of those Jenny Cranes because your palate is going to be fatigued. You're going to be like, I just want a regular fucking beer right now. So you're welcome. (laughs) I just want to enjoy what I'm drinking. Christ. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sick of the homework. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, And that's part of it, too, is that sometimes because my job is... I have to think about everything that I'm drinking, right? And um, even if I'm not drinking my own beer, a lot of times I'm drinking something that somebody has given me and they want my honest feedback on it. Um, Or I'm doing, you know, um, customer interaction, engagement, education, whatever it is. And so I'm speaking about beer. So I'm thinking about it constantly. Sometimes I just don't want to think about it anymore. (laughs) I just want to drink something and be able to just fucking drink it. So, and I know what I'm going to get when I crack open a Jenny cream. I know what I'm going to get when I crack open a PBR. Like I don't have to think about it. (laughs) It's funny you said that because Jim and I both talked about the fatigue of, you know, obviously you do it professionally. It's your levels above us, but when it comes to us drinking beers or playing video games, we unfortunately always have our analytical mind on. And that's one thing I want to ask you is what was the last time you had a beer just for fun? Like where you sat down, you were like, you know what? I'm, I'm not, but like, even if it was craft or whatever, like that you were just able to enjoy it and not like have that part of your brain. (laughs) Um, Depends how many beers deep I am, probably. <laughs> um, and also, there's as much as I like trying new beers, I sometimes enjoy being able to have that beer again because mm-hmm. I already know what to expect. So then I do get to actually just sit back and enjoy it um, and just drink it because I know that I'm going to enjoy it. Um, so. When was the last time I got to do that? I don't know. Probably a few days ago when I cracked open a beer that I'd already had before. <laughs> uh, because I knew what to expect. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, my my mind does always go. Um, and my, my palate is always going, oh, hmm, what is this? And I wonder what hops were in this. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, so. And before you know it, you look at your glass or can, you're like, it's done. Oh, crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in some scenarios and situations, um, that's really fun because being able to geek out with somebody else um, or with a group of people over a beer is really fun. But when it starts to sort of preoccupy and you're not present in the moment, um, that's when I, I'm like, okay, Hannah, <laughs> turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a big problem, I think, with a lot of things these days is, yeah, you can tend to not be in the moment with it. And beer is one of those communal, it's a fun experience. But speaking of fun communal experiences, uh, I was curious, does when a beer's overhyped for you and you hear about it and everyone says, oh, you need to try it. Now, you've probably tried thousands of beers. Mm-hmm. Um, does it kind of like never meet your expectations You know, like the easiest way I can describe it is Jim and I starting this page, we were very, very, very low on the understanding beer totem pole. But everyone, try 120 minute, get this, get to go in the lines and wait for these releases. And these are going to be the best beers you ever have. And then we try it and it never like they were pretty damn good, but it was always like, uh, like the hype was almost too real for some of them. Yeah. Well, 
So how to best answer that? Um, first of all, everybody's palate is different. So what you taste and what I taste are not necessarily going to be the same thing. Um, what the people are tasting that have hyped this beer up may not be tasting the same thing that I'm tasting. Um, one thing that I know that I have to keep in mind is I'm not the average beer consumer. Um, and so some of these beers that are on the market, I'm not who they're trying to appeal to, right? Um, yeah. It would be really easy for me to hate on some of these really, really, really overly fruited beers, the milkshake IPAs, um, <laughs> the beers that have unfermented fruit juice in it, uh, the beers that people are putting cereal and Skittles and gummy bears and marshmallows and God only knows what else into it. Does part of me go, what? Yeah, some part of me does. But at the same time, part of brewing for me is being able to be creative and the innovation that goes along with it. I'm not going to stifle somebody's desire to be innovative. Um, <laughs> and again, I have to remember that what I want to drink is not necessarily what the average beer consumer wants to drink. Um, I hope that by having some of those beers commercially available for people that maybe that provides a gateway experience for people to break into craft beer. Maybe somebody that once was previously only a wine or mixed drink um, consumer taste something and they're like, wow, this is what beer can taste like. Okay. And little by little, they start exploring and trying new things. And, you know, we're able to grab a hold of some new consumers. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, where I draw the line, I, you will never find me making the conscious decision to put anything artificial into beer. Um, that's not to say that if I were to work for somebody that insisted that I do that, I would do everything in my power to talk them out of it and tell them why I think that's a terrible idea. Um, but I would still do it, I guess, because they're my boss. Um, yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, I don't have to worry about that at Naked because nope. they're on my side with that. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's my hard line. Um, so you will never find me putting uh oreos or skittles um i would put marshmallow because you can buy all natural marshmallow fluff mm -hmm. um but anything that has artificial colors flavors or preservatives you will not find me putting into beer um, so it's funny you talked about all those things because jim's been uh teasing me about we need to try that beer called what was it jim the unicorn farts unicorn yeah the fruity from pebbles duclaw from duclaw mm -hmm. yeah uh, it's funny because I almost said while you're describing that a lot of people, it feels like they're trying to do novelty beers. Like you're saying, like maybe they are just trying to attract the people. It's like, Hey, we put bacon or oysters or whatever, like whatever the case may be. Um, and you know, Jim and I, we've definitely 
<clears throat> been like, okay, well, it's some goofy flavor. We get, let's just try it. But the longevity of those beers never seems to last quite as long. And like you're saying, I don't know if it's a good thing or a detriment because it's kind of like, is it a stain on people who are doing it legit like you who aren't using artificial flavors? But um, like you said, everyone's palate is completely different. So, you know. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's a tricky, that's a, that's a slippery slope. Um, yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up Two Claw because I've actually done a collab with Two Claw before. Um, okay. So, yeah. So uh, I have no issues with Two Claw. Um, they, I mean, they're kind of an OG at this point. Mm-hmm. Like they've been in the industry for a long time. Um, and they were super relevant for a long time. And then they became super not relevant. And yeah. they had to start doing things to become relevant again. And, you know, they're, they're here. They're I doing mean, it. Yeah, exactly. They're doing it. I'll they're just doing stick around. <laughs> they're doing it. And I, again, I'm, I'm not going to criticize them or hate on them for that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are breweries that I think, hmm, I don't like to talk. <laughs> I don't like to talk badly <laughs> about breweries. But there are breweries that are going about this in a really wrong way that are just, they basically are just saying, fuck you consumers. We don't care. You're going to keep buying our shit and <laughs> jokes on you. That, that doesn't sit right with me. Um, you know, there's a, a brewery in the Midwest somewhere that got called out earlier this year for producing beers that they had labeled at, you know, like 9%. And turns out they're like three or three and a half percent because of the amount of fruit juice that they were putting in it because they didn't understand how basic math worked. Um, <laughs> those are the people that I, uh, it makes it so much harder for the rest of us. And, and they're kind of dicks about it and are just kind mm-hmm. of like, whatever. You have a can explode. That's your fault. Mm. Mm, but is it i don't think so like that's not what i got into this industry for but at the same time i'm not gonna stomp my feet and throw a temper tantrum and be a petulant little child um because there are enough people in this industry doing that (laughs) and i don't need to be one of them (laughs) uh i'm just i'm just here to brew good beer i know that i can brew good beer um and you know keep pushing that out there so it is funny you say that because every once in a great while we'll see this story where it'll be like a brewer makes a mistake of like going into the forums on like beer advocate or something like that taking it just a bit too personally and kind of like responding personally to like every single comment that's going on (sighs) and you're just watching i'm I'm sitting there and the end user going this is a glorious dumpster fire (laughs) meanwhile i'm sure the way all it's from what it sounded like all these brewers like you all talk to each other live you like really know each other it's it's mm-hmm. for as big and wide out as it is, it's still kind of small and tight knit too. Mm-hmm. And you're all just like kind of looking at him like from the corner, just going, "Dude, shut the fuck up." Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a state. It's what sucks is, yeah. Unfortunately, as a brewer, you're gonna get lumped in with every if they have jack jackasses who do that, or if you have anyone who is priced like a- anyone that's kind of screwing over to consumers. Unfortunately, that it it sucks that generalizations will get made about that but like you said all you can do is keep making great beer i don't think anyone's gonna have to worry about that coming from naked brewing or wherever you're brewing at the time and 
Yeah, the, we, we hear those stories, and those are the ones that always catch our eyes when brewers kind of lash out at their, at their fans. And I can't imagine. I mean, you you put so much time, sweat, heart into brewing your beer. And I'm sure if you go on untapped, if you go on Beer Advocate, and you see someone who's probably very uneducated, and they just picked up the beer, and they're giving their opinion – it's probably, it, I'm sure it's frustrating as hell. And you get a very human moment where you say, you know what? Fuck you. Like, you know, yeah. you know I can get that. It can be really frustrating. Um, one of the first lessons that I learned, um, even as a home brewer, I learned this. But uh, definitely once I, I got myself into the industry, one of the very first lessons I learned was humility and learning that not everything that you brew is going to be stellar. Um, and it's learning how and when to cut your losses with that, when that happens. Um, and it's also learning your product, learning appropriate flavor profiles, and then being able to parlay that into customer education, which I think is mm -hmm. a huge component. Um, so way to my heart is a beer that to look at it, you go, I'm not really sure about this. Like, I don't, this doesn't sound like something that I would necessarily want. Um, mm -hmm. But when you really think about it, or if I'm given the opportunity to uh, speak about it to customers, or if one of our servers in the tap room has the opportunity to speak to a customer about it, and kind of explains what to expect and the story behind it. Um, that seems to go a pretty long way and it opens people's minds a little bit more to trying it um, because I mean, truth be told, if I were to see this beer sitting on the shelf and see it described as a cheesecake style sour ale with cherries and vanilla and milk sugar, I would go, uh, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with something else. Um, but when you taste it, it's not as, um, it's different. <laughs> it's very different than what than what you would expect. Um, and for me, that different is a good kind of different. Um, mm -hmm. And as much as I hate Untapped because there are a lot of uh, <laughs> opinions and it's all subjective, um, I also religiously stalk Untapped <laughs> um, because I have to. Um, I need to know what the consumers are are saying about the beers that we're producing um, because again. I'm not the average beer consumer. People that are checking beers in on Untapped and giving it ratings and hopefully giving it some sort of like actual written Substance, feedback. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shit sucks. Stuff One star. That, yeah. Okay. Don't like sours. <laughs> You're like, damn, why did you try? Okay. Okay. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I want to see um, and I want to understand that. Um, and then. I can use that as either, yes, we're going to brew this beer again. No, we're not going to brew this beer again. Or yes, we are, but I'm going to change it. Or, okay, we're going to brew this again, but maybe we need to think about how we're presenting it. Um, and yeah. maybe that's something in the nomenclature. So how it's actually like the style of beer is written. Um, or it could be the description on the side. It could be our uh, descriptions on beer menus. It could be our description on Untapped, um, any social media stuff like that. So yeah, 
And, and I mean, as a head brewer and looking when, when you said you religiously search untapped, it's funny because I feel like any creator of anything, if your stuff is out there and you have some app that you can get your feedback. Some sort of metric to yes. measure. Yeah. It's it's a probably a blessing and a curse because on one hand, if it hits off and, it, and the algorithm hits and it starts recommending it to people or saying, hey, we notice you like sours. Go try this one. So it's kind of that. But, yeah, you probably scroll through like 500. Oh, this is awesome. And then you see that one or two. I don't like this. And that like, yeah. <laughs> You're like you son of a bitch. Like yeah. why? And they and and of course they never give you the feedback because that's the feedback like you're saying you probably look for because if somebody right. loves it that's nice, but is there anything like you would right? Change, you know right? Like if somebody gives it one and a half caps, you know, but there's no feedback on it, I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> like, <laughs> exactly. Okay. You're like thank um, you. Like one of my one of my favorites, and it, it actually pertains to um, way to my heart. One of my <laughs> favorite recent Untapped reviews that I read um, was this guy said, "What did he say? Something like tastes nothing like cheesecake." And some sort of like acronym, you know, that the kids use after that. But it wasn't a kid. It's like this mid fifties guy i think anyway Naturally. i'm like two buddies commented underneath of it one person said yeah it's beer and another person said it's cheesecake inspired <laughs> so i'm like yeah friends yeah. <laughs> like you got my back yep and then and then this guy checked in um covet and said oh thank god this is so much better than the cheesecake one or something like that <laughs> and i'm thinking okay but like he still gave way to my heart i think three and a half caps so i'm like yeah whatever i'll still take it that's okay <laughs> but i just yeah. thought it was i just thought it was really funny and then you know like the comments <laughs> underneath it like yeah it's just cheesecake inspired it's a beer it's a beer man what do you yeah <laughs> yeah i've that like you said it's funny when people see the labels they're gonna be like what am i gonna be drinking a cheesecake it the, the education of people drinking the beers is is important because mm -hmm. I can tell you, and, and this is something I did want to get in with you, is that gap for everyone. When you go from your Genesis, your Lion's Head, your PBRs, your Buds, whatever you start off with, eventually there's that like bridge beer, I call it. And then eventually you're like, okay, I'll dip my toe. Jim and I have said many times on this podcast our like bridge beers were probably like somehow we jumped from all the regular i'll call it regular beers to a golden monkey and mm -hmm. it was a big jump it was like what the hell like oh beers can get you this drunk like that's what we were looking for at that time in our life i'm curious with you what was like the craft beer or beer in general that made you go holy shit like this opened up my world and now i maybe want to start brewing it yeah, so I was in college. Um, of course, 21, right? Uh, actually, so this story actually does. I was actually 21 in this story. Um, but, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was totally 21 the first time I tried beer. I of wasn't, course, yeah. I wasn't, uh, you know... I wasn't a bad high school kid. Of course not. You didn't go um, to woods and go to parties and drink. Oh, no. Or ask my best friend's older sister to buy us beer. And of course not. Green apple schnapps because 
that's what we liked. <laughs> anyway. That, or 99 bananas. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a throw up you never forget the flavor of. Uh, yeah. that, that and Aftershock. I might oh. be dating myself right now because Aftershock is no longer produced. But yep. um, think Fireball, but worse. Oh, God. Like, think Fireball. Actually, think like if Goldschlager and Rumplemints yes. had a baby. Oh, that's no. that's what aftershock was it was it's so awful. it had like crystals inside of it that were like this weird cinnamon mint oh my god whoa, whoa. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i just can't i can't okay, in your mouth baiting your nose the next day <laughs> we can't talk about it anymore <sighs> anyway uh so <laughs> the it was so right after I turned 21, I was like one of the last of my friends that turned 21. Um, this, it had been like this super divey bar and it, I think got bought out, but it turned into this craft beer bar and they did like these passport things. So you would like drink around the world and like drink beers from different countries and like they would stamp your passport. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. That was something I had never I'd experienced like, yeah. before. Um, I was doing an internship. This was my senior year. Um, so I turned 21, like the week that I started my senior year of college. Um, so I was doing an internship and it was actually a paid internship. So, um, you know, I thought I was like rolling in fat stacks <laughs> of dough here. Um, mm -hmm. So Fridays I would go to this bar and I would meet my friends um, for happy hour. And we would, you know, get out our passports and like be like little dorks. Um, and that was the first time that I really tried some beers that I, I mean, I had never even heard of some of them. I couldn't even pronounce at the time. Um, that was the first time that I had, uh, Monk's Flemish Red Ale. Yeah. Um, I had Golden Drock, um, and, but the beer that like, that I really liked and it's it's kind of funny to say now, but it was um, Appalachian's Water Gap Wheat because it's such like a easy drinking beer, right? <laughs> That's um, a summer beer all the way, yeah. It is, it is. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was excuse me, that was kind of the beer that I was like, okay, yeah, this is good. And then from there, I kind of just kept really trying different different things. Sorry, I have hiccups. No. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, that was kind of the beer that, that really got me um, going. That and, and Guinness. And I actually have Guinness on tap at home. So that the love of Guinness oh, hasn't gone I away. Oh, I love that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of all the macro beers, it's funny. Guinness is the only one that I think still doesn't get shit like other. Like of all the big beers. like yeah. I, I, And I know some people might still. But I still don't meet that many people that really hate on Guinness that much. No. Well, and because... Guinness is still, so it's owned by Diageo. Um, mm -hmm. And like, yeah, they're big, but they're not ABM Bev, you know, mm -hmm. like they're not, yeah. they're, yeah, they're not Heineken. Um, and they still, I mean, the fact that they have a, a U.S. brewery again is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And the head brewer for the U.S., Brewery, fun fact, uh, is a woman, and her name is Holly, and she's a dear friend of mine, and she is fucking kick-ass. Um, I love is Holly. Gonna, 
Are you telling us there's going to be a naked Guinness collab? Oh, <laughs> God, I wish. I wish. Oh, um, a cheesesteak cheese or a cheesesteak, cheesecake Guinness stout. Yeah. <laughs> I wish, man. I I would love to be with Guinness. But, um, I mean, I've been down there a number of times. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that I could go with them and they could come through with me but we would never get it as a collab yeah yeah that's too many that's too many different levels of things um i'd rather just hang out with my friends (laughs) no i understand that yeah um but yeah so i like when you tried that wheat beer and you said like that was did that start you going okay i clearly Wheat beers are a thing I like. Did you keep going down wheat beer pit, or then did you start trying everything? I just really tried anything and everything. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it was really pretty much I would try anything uh, yeah. that, that I had the chance to try. Um, even, I and I should actually probably back that story up when I was not 21. Um, I remember getting a mixed variety case from Yingling and their black and tan was in there and their porter. And I loved both of those beers. I still like both of those beers. Um, I still like Lord Chesterfield too. (laughs) So, um, so those, those were also sort of a departure from, you know, like lager or PBR, you know, Miller Lite or whatever. Um, so yeah um technically england is still craft beer i'm not sure that i would put it on the same level as like appalachian which was really sort of um a craft beer that you know really got me so um, yeah and then from there it was you know in terms of like local um you know trogues i grew up in harrisburg and then i lived in hershey um and i actually <laughs> uh lived in hershey when they moved to hershey and would sit in their tasting room and work on my master's thesis. So that's awesome. Um, Tough life. Because yeah, well, it was yeah, it was. I needed to get out of my house because uh, there's so many distractions there. So I would go and sit during the day um, when there was nobody there. This is, I mean, this was in 2000. Again, I'm going to be dating myself, but this was in 2011. Uh, yeah, 2011. So. Um, you know, they weren't nearly as big and popular as they are now. So you said you're, you're in college, you're working on your master's thesis, but had you tried your hand or even given a thought to, to brewing some? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had homebrewed, um, during undergrad a few times. Um, I homebrewed one time with, um, Kevin Walter who owns Love City. Um, okay. yeah. So he and I have known each other since sophomore year of college. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I had homebrewed a few times in college, um, you know, as is with anything in college, like your attention span is very short. Uh, it's kind of like, tell me, tell me where the next party is. And uh, yeah, um, so yeah, it wasn't really until after I had graduated. Um, my brother and I had homebrewed together a few times and then uh, some time had passed and uh i ended up moving out here uh to bucks county in 2012 um towards the end of 2012 and um 
moved in with my now husband, but we were roommates at the time. <laughs> so okay. um, both of us had homebrewed with friends individually and we were like, yeah, you know, let's do this. Like, let's try homebrewing again. Like, and let's do this together. So we went to Keystone Homebrew Supply, uh, which is actually really close to where we live and bought a whole bunch of stuff, started homebrewing. Uh, fast forward a few months and uh, I started working there. Um, and yeah. <laughs> it's, and that and it was just off to the races. Uh, yeah, then it was just kind of off to the races. Uh, John Stemler, who is one of the co-founders of Free Will, um, had previously worked at Keystone as well. Um, and so I got to know John and uh, he offered me a job bartending one day a week. Um, and this was back in the basement days of Freewell. This is also pre-law change. So this was when you could not buy beers for consumption um, to drink on premise. Um, breweries with the licensing that Naked has, Freewell has, just about every other brewery that is not also a brew pub. Um, that licensing, you were only allowed to either give away samples or sell people beer to go. So that was growlers. Um, this is before crawlers were a thing and, you know, bottles, kegs, stuff like that. So yeah. um, bartending back then was way different. <laughs> um, that law changed um, the end of 2014, going into 2015. Um, so it's actually not that long ago. Um, but yeah. people tend to not remember that, I think. <laughs> and it's um, such a nice change. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I was working at Keystone and at Free Will. Um, I did that for 18 months. I was one place or the other pretty much every single day. Um, I had one day off like every other week um, and, you know, hustle hard. And uh, I bugged the <laughs> shit out of them for 18 months to hire me full time. And then eventually they did. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's that's sort of how I got into, into the beer world. Um, you know, the short answer is right place, right time. And the long answer is persistence. <laughs> yeah and passion for sure. <laughs> yeah i mean like you said who knows had you not gone to that dive bar and done the tour around the world like you right. said like, would you have ever really gone down no like appreciating or liking beer who knows who knows i mean i think i probably would have um because you know i i didn't turn up my nose uh you know shitty beer in college um mm -hmm. you know i didn't really ever, I don't know. Well, I don't know if I can actually say that. I would, I would, <laughs> I was still the person that would drink beer, even if cocktails were an option. Um, I don't know. I just. You, you weren't saying, hey, I, I can't drink that because that's bullshit. Yeah. You <sighs> were just, if it's there, you're like, yeah, I'll drink it. And you had appreciation for it all. Yeah. And I was probably challenging you to do a game of beer pong or flip cup. So exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm dominating you. <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's one of those things. So, you know, you fast forward, you're a head brewer now and, um, that's yeah, fucking trippy. Know, <laughs> it, it's, I, I love those stories though, of something that was a call it a minor hobby in college. Like you said, cause who has time to pay attention to anything, but you know, now that that you've been doing it and you're doing it at a time where 
the world is uh, going through an interesting time and being a head brewer during covid like I'm sure that's not stressful at all. No, not <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, I think the only thing in this industry that is more stressful than being a head brewer is being an owner. Because um, that is a whole other uh, level of responsibility that I'm thankful to not have. Um, however, working for Naked, I mean, it is, it's ownership, Sean, Jim, and then me. <laughs> like so, it's it's pretty much the three of us and that that's it and jim has a full-time job uh he is the original uh founder and owner of naked and then sean came on board a couple years later oh my cat decided she wants to join us okay hi <laughs> hi kitty hi kitty Mom. Um, yeah. Well, this is her area up here. Her food bowls over there. So she's like, she's, get out of here. She's like, what are you doing up here, woman? So um, she kills the whiskey when you're not around. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Go ahead. You can eat. I'll stop. All right. Um, I don't even know what I was saying. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Uh, so with the three of you kind of co like you, you're, you're, yes. they, they're the owners. You're the head brewer. But yes. So it's a very, um, we've, the three of us have a really great relationship. There's a lot of trust uh, between the three of us. There's a lot of um, value that we all provide, but we all also see the value that others provide. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a really supportive environment. Uh, super supportive. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I don't ever feel like, oh, you're just the head brewer, like, do as we yeah. say. Um, you know, if there's something that I don't feel comfortable with or something that I have a strong opinion on, I I feel very comfortable approaching both of them um, with it, which, especially in the time of COVID, I think is hugely important. Um, you know, the three of us are on a text chain that, you know, is just constantly going <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. um you know about things that are important but you know yeah. it's just it's constantly going um with different different things because we're not always in the same place like i said jim has a full-time job um sean is there uh with me most days but she also has a family at home and three kids that are trying to do school virtually uh -huh. so um so she's got her uh -huh. hands full plus you know running a business and running front of house stuff so um it's super challenging um one of the biggest things when i came on board um so i came on board july 1st so you know we the world had already sort of been in this covid realm for a few months by the time i came on board yeah um they had actually shut down for a little bit um, at the beginning of quarantine um, just because nobody knew what was going on. Um, There's too many uncertainties and, um, you know, they were trying to do the right thing for the community and um, society in general and then open back up slowly to just doing curbside. Um, even when we went to a green phase and we're allowed to have people to some capacity, um, you know, it was still very much focused on doing curbside. Um, one of the things that when I came on board, I had sort of planned to steer the ship in the direction of, of going, um, was canning, 
and but that's not a small endeavor um and can i just say thank you so much for doing that (laughs) as a consumer i can tell you right now one of the go-to things of buying beers and and you're explaining it but i'm sure it's not it's not easy but oh my god the amount i just want to like always buy the cans because yeah i do have growlers or six like you know i have the little kegerators but i it's it's sometimes there's just a nice i can have the cans have yeah. them here and absolutely it just makes it so much yeah absolutely and that that package volume of you know either 12 or 16 ounces which um you know we do everything in 16 ounce but that that's a perfect size for somebody to drink by themselves but you could also split it with somebody mm-hmm. um whereas when you get a 64 ounce growler or even a 32 ounce growler like that's a lot of beer and that's a commitment, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So having 16 ounces um, at your disposal is, is definitely nice. Um, but that was definitely something that I felt was really important, especially moving forward. Um, our tap room is so small and we don't have the ability to do outside service anymore. Um, that's a whole other story. I'm not even gonna get into it, but um, so how do, you get, how do you get your beer into people's hands? And you know the easiest way to do that is to make it easy for them. Um, be able to have prepackaged product, things that are visually and aesthetically pleasing uh, for people to look at, things that are easy for them to then split with a friend and say, you know what, I'm gonna go buy a four pack from here, you go buy a four pack from there and we'll split it um that's easy to do and it takes the guesswork out of it for people um yeah and it's it's things that um by having an online sales platform um also removes a barrier um you know it's trying to remove as many barriers as you can and reasons for people to say no and not buy your product is obviously uh you know that's a whole sales thing, <laughs> which is not necessarily my forte, although I'm not terrible at it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, well, like I said, I, I, I've told you off air, but I do want to commend you between the beer itself, the packaging, the online, because when COVID hit, that was one of the things is we've, you know, we live in the area and this you, naked was one of the breweries we were always checking like, Oh, once breweries started to make beer available, and, you know, once you came on, we, honestly, within the past month, we noticed, like, hey, it, it's readily available. The site's there. And everything you're pointing out is exactly I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I'll just, oh, they have it all there. I'll just go buy one of everything because it's now easily accessible. Mm-hmm. And it made a huge difference in me going there and wanting to get all that. So I noticed a big, big difference once you came on board. And like I said, and that's no knock on anyone previously, but between the beer and everything, it's just, that's the direction where I feel like you almost have to go, especially because who knows what six months down the line is going to look like. Exactly. And that was part of it too, was when I came on board, it was me sort of thinking and, and talking with ownership um, and saying, we don't know where we're going to be. We don't know what's going to happen with this. And I think we need to prepare ourselves for a hundred percent complete shutdown going back to where we were in March. And if that happens, we need to be positioned so that we can still get our beer into people's hands um, and not 
have to be in a forced 100% shutdown and then be sitting on all this product. So how do we do that? Well, that's cans. Um, so we need to make sure that what we're brewing, we have plans to package. Um, we still have done some things that are draft only. So like the cream ale is one of them. Um, we've done a West Coast IPA. Um, I've done a half of and a fresh hopped blonde ale, uh, mm. a black currant wheat that are all draft options only. Um, but the majority of what I've been brewing, um, excuse me, since, uh, since I came on board is all sort of stuff that, you know, we can can. You've been it. Yeah. 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 Which, which is one of the things, like I said, we love. And it, it kind of brings me to one thing, Jim, and I have talked about many times with brewers. And, and I'm very curious, as you said, you and the owners, you're like a trifecta of, of working together. Um, we're noticing any more. And I, I'm comparing beer can art, if you will, almost to like the days, and I'm dating myself. You go back, you go to a store to run a VHS tape and you're seeing the display and yeah. you're almost seeing like what catches your eye. And, Absolutely. And like what kind of, who drives the input as far as, okay, I want the can art to look like this, like this. Is it, you drive it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Sean and I both. Um, so, um, I'm going to say this without, or hopefully say this without coming off as um, sounding pretentious or conceited. I, first of all, um, Sean and Jim hired me for a lot of different reasons, but they hired me for the biggest reason. And that's because I came with experience. Um, and I came with knowledge and um, a brewing pedigree, if you will, that could do nothing but help them <laughs> um, and help take them to the next level. Um, and so when we first started talking about doing canning, um, you know, I was very vocal about things that I had learned by, you know, coming from a larger production-based brewery. Um, and absolutely no criticism to Sean and Jim whatsoever because they had not had that kind of experience. And had I not worked for free will and had that experience, I wouldn't have been able to provide any of this insight either. Um, yeah. But luckily, you know, I, I did come with some of that experience. Um, so there were a lot of things that I was very instrumental in implementing um, and things that I was sort of like, this is a non-negotiating factor. Like this has to be, part of our plan when we do this um and then some other things i was just kind of like yeah whatever um but one of the things that i think is super duper important i'm gonna just use this can as reference mm -hmm. which i hand applied this label today because i snagged a little fill can because we're pretty much out of this beer so excuse the <laughs> label but um one of the things is the template um that you'll see and if you have another one of our cans sitting there two of them right here yeah so along the top naked brewing yeah. bottom there's the band right so that's right. sort of the template um that appears on every can so that was something that i thought was hugely important have those two things have your branding be there and it's prominent and it's right on the front because my mind goes to okay people are going to be buying these cans 
hopefully people are also taking photos of these cans and posting it to their social media. I want to make sure that our name is front and center right there. So there is no question when somebody looks at that, who does that beer? Oh, that's really cool label art. Okay. Well, how many, how many pictures have you seen um, <laughs> since we were talking about breweries and PA in the beer group where somebody just posts a picture of a can and you have no fucking clue yep. who's made that beer? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. We've had, we've had a lot of times where we'll try, like my wife was getting me these, uh, the craft beer like boxes that you could get like mail order. Like they'll send you like a, yeah. yeah, craft beer king stuff like that. Yeah. And like we'll be every time we do the podcast, I would whip out another one, and we always introduce them. And there's been episodes where I'm looking at it for like five minutes, going, "Where's the fucking who, name? Yeah. Like, who did it? Yeah, yeah, yeah." So, but that's not, that's something that I don't I don't want that to be a question. I want somebody to be able to post a picture of our can, and it's you know exactly who who did it. Um, in addition to brewing and other things that I did at free will. I also did social media for a long time. So, <laughs> um, so these are, are things that I think about. Um, yeah. So that was, that was one thing. Um, having label art that is eye catching is sometimes it's colors. Sometimes it's a pattern. Um, but I wanted it to be unique. Um, so our artist uh, actually is, um, her name's Gabby. Um, she's young. She is a freshman in college, actually. Um, so she's going to Moore College of Art and Design in Philly. Um, but she's a super talented artist. And um, she hand draws all the labels. Um, wow. It's, you know, nothing is just like clip art or, you know, images that she distorts and like puts filters to or anything like that. And again, if that's what somebody is doing for their label art, that's fine, whatever. Um, I just, I think that there's some value to having, you know, some really cool hand-drawn art. Um, You also don't have to worry about IP theft. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's, here's one of the things, and I, you know, if you feel like it's stepping on toes stop me um we've also talked about like it's what it is one of those things if i've never because like i've had stuff from naked or other breweries that i know yes i'm always going to be returning company but if i'm trying something new yes the label art is one of the biggest things if i'm in a bottle shop if i'm somewhere and i just see whatever catches my eyes what i'm going to first Mm -hmm. it seemed like the past year year and a half there's been this movement to minimalism and just very simple text. And even some of our favorites like Trogues, who I still have uh, some of the original Mad Elf bottles. I have all those. Look, and... at, my, look at my beer, son. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah, yes. Yeah. Yep. And, and I don't know if I, you Good old perennial. Per, good, yeah. Or perpetual. But perpetual. I mean. perpetual. Yeah. But it's one of those. I can we read. love all of Trogues <laughs> label art. And they've switched to what they've switched to. And I'm not trying to. Judge yeah, I them. love their label art. I love their the new one. I love their new label art. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me though, but that reads as like the other ones. I almost read like the perpetual, like how you just had uh Dreamweaver, Troganator, Mad Elf. They came off as fun. Something what I, like if you don't know Trogues and you look at their new ones to me, they just read as just very meh. 
Like they're muted compared to what they were. And it, it's tough because it, obviously it's the head brewer or whoever makes that decision and it's a direction they wanted to go. Um, but we, we're noticing like a lot of breweries and I'm just using Trogues cause that's the local ex- example, but some of them would literally just have just, just writing. It'll be like our IPA or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's fine. And yes, quality should stand above label art. But at the, at some point, like as a head brewer, do you see that? And sometimes think like put a little effort into some of those more, more muted. Yes. And no. Um, because I, so I'm a very creative, artistic person, um, but I actually find that some of those more simplistic labels are very eye-catching. They're very pleasing. They're very soothing. Um, and believe it or not, it's actually really hard to pull off a simple label like that. Um, hmm. From a design perspective, that because so if you have all of these different things going into it, all these different colors and patterns or whatever like okay you can make it all work but when you literally have two colors and maybe just words it suddenly becomes so important where your placement is your font size what font you use um mm-hmm. what two colors do you use <laughs> um so there is a whole there's a whole science that goes into that um there's a whole human behavioral um you know and psychological study that that goes into those decisions so um i don't i don't actually think that it is as uh simple as as people realize and also um for some people so you said that you guys are mechanical engineers mm-hmm. okay yeah. so knowing that and hearing your statement just now is very confusing to me and i'll tell you why because um <laughs> in general i feel like engineers are the type that are they want the straight they want the right angles they want the black and white they don't want any of that frilly shit <clears throat> that is confusing and chaotic to them um my husband is an engineer so he's black and white right angles ocd everything has a place like i mean you see my whiskey shelf behind me like it is <laughs> super well organized um yeah. everything has a place and he, but what is super interesting is it all three of you guys don't like the new trogues branding and i personally <laughs> love yes it. You know what? I, I, th- I have a theory. I think that's funny. I have a theory. Okay, tell me your Here's theory the because I, I, I really it puzzles me that he doesn't like the new the new branding either. So, because like you said, with being the engineer things, and I'm sure your husband and Brian are much better engineers than me, but it's still like like you said, the analytical sense and looking too much into it. Beer still part for us is our escapism too. So if we want our escapism, okay. I think we're going to try and go full bore into it. So. We want wild and crazy shit, just like the complete opposite of like our everyday lives. Okay. And like the straight and narrow okay. and like, oh, two colors. Yeah, it gets to the point. It's pretty good. Like, no, like I want that elf like laughing at you for being drunk. I want that giant Satan for the Troganator, that kind of deal. So when the, all the new labels came out, I was like, ah, I mean, they're fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I still I still drink the shit out of it, but I don't know. It just took some of the pizzazz away, I think. Okay. And to, and to what Jim said, it's actually very true because of our group of friends, everyone is kind of how you describe. They're, they're more, I don't know if square is the right word, but they're very like 
plain Jane when it comes to like, yes, everything needs to be format, whatever. Jim and I, we're definitely, we're more the creative of our group. On on the side, we were always, okay. you know, I was always doing video editing. I was always hey, drawing. Me, 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 me. Jim, you know, he's a drummer. He, we okay. both love video games. So we appreciate like, our, and we dive into them, not just for the escapism, but also we appreciate the art in them. Okay. So we are always looking at that. And I think the two of us both are way more creative in the sense of we appreciate graphic design in that. And especially spending the amount of time I have on those things. I, I, everything you said, when you make it something simple, my God, like the labeling becomes so important, important for font and everything. Um, it just, it, it is kind of just a downer. It's like, man, we love those trogue labels so much. Yeah. And then to see them go to that, it was almost just like, it just seemed like they were riding a wave of other breweries we saw doing that too. And I was like, is that the new thing people are going to do? So I think yes and no. Um, and it's funny, again, that you guys are bringing trogues up because I use them as an example of um, a brewery that kind of helped pave the way for a lot of other small breweries. Um, oh, yeah. You know, they've been around since the 90s and um, they were in that first craft beer wave. Um, you know, it was like them, Yards, Victory, Weyerbacher, uh, Lancaster, Appalachian, um, at least in our, you know, kind of home region. But, mm -hmm. you know, all all of those breweries that sort of started in the same time frame. Trogues for me is the epitome, prime example of a brewery that has continued to reinvent themselves and stay relevant and stay current and still be able to draw in the people that are chasing these hype beers, the people that want the beers that they had to go stand in line for, the beers that are so hard and, you know, it's, they're so exclusive and, you know, you, oh, you know, they only made, you know, 30 cases of this beer, you know, <laughs> Trogues is still able to get those same people. Um, yeah. But some of those other breweries that I just mentioned are not able to do that. Um, and one of those breweries in particular that I just mentioned is hurting very, very, very badly and uh, filed bankruptcy. <laughs> and they have been refinanced, but, um, you know, Troves is not in that boat. They are continuing to expand. They're expanding their distribution footprint. They're expanding their facility. Um, they're expanding their offerings, but they are still just as relevant today as they were in, you know, 1997. Um, so that, that to me is like, that's some fucking magical <laughs> stuff going Place on. To, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, and I think part of that was realizing that their branding was a little antiquated um, and they needed to update that a little bit and bring it into a little bit more of a modern time to appeal to some of these newer craft beer consumers that wanted things that were in that more artistic but not kitschy um, yep. realm. Um, yeah, like like basically they almost evolved, like they grew up in a way. They did, they did, and they've, yeah. they've evolved really well. Um, and like I said, you know, I think for me, Trogues is a really prime example of a brewery that has done it right and continues to do it right um, yeah. with very few missteps 
um, and continues to to appeal to those people that you know are going to go stand in the lines at you know equilibrium and hudson valley but are also going to drive to tropes um yeah you know it's almost like they're being ahead of the game too because like when we're trying all these different beers you see a wall of outlandish looking you know label designs and art and shit like that and then you see simple little oh dreamweaver this looks good so in a way it almost stands out by being that simplistic now too they're going out of their way to make sure their bottles stand out. I, that's definitely true. I, I can, I definitely did not think of it in those terms. It, it makes sense. Like I said, of course, the nostalgia of, I, I don't know. Everyone we knew and grew up with, like Mad Elf was that craft beer, especially around December. Yep. That's a gateway like, drug. Yeah. Mad Elf is like, a gateway drug. Yeah. And that's one of those beers where I love Trogues actually came out and like, you don't actually, you're not supposed to age those bottles yet. Everyone we knew aged those mm-hmm. bottles and they're like, some people would have them for like six years. They're like, they're not meant to be aged like that. Don't do that. Yeah. Cause they'll be like, Oh, it tastes more like cherry and honey now. It's, but everyone I, we knew did had them. They would, they would mark them up, say this is from 2010 or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And it's still one of those – that's one of those beers, though. It's funny. When you talk about people's palates changing or just anything, like, I swear from year to year, and as a head brewer, I'm sure you can appreciate it. Everyone's like, oh, my God, the batch from 2013 was so much better than the batch right now. (laughs) It's so funny, though. People treat it like – like like yeah. they got a whole wall of it like wines like oh this is the good year of the man there's so many different things that play into that and i'm not i'm not discounting that yes there are um differences from year to year but i when people are so steadfast in their opinions on that i sometimes i just take it with a grain of salt i think it really depends on who's saying it if it's if it's somebody that is just kind of like puffing their chest up and going, oh, look at me, I have, you know, I have a eight-year vertical of this and, oh, you know, 2011 was the best year and it just hasn't been as great since then. I go, okay. Um, but if it's somebody that's going, you know, I really appreciated 2011 because blah, 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 blah. Like there's so many different factors. Um, I mean, they, they use cherries in it. Cherries are a fruit product that is very dependent on the growing season so no two growing seasons are going to taste the same so your cherries aren't going to taste the same same with the honey um you know i mean honey is going to vary from year to year too um and you know not so much with mad elf but with other beers um you know your your hop crop is going to be different from year to year um so there, there is something to be said about that, but I also kind of roll my eyes sometimes when people <laughs> say that. Yeah, it's like, okay, man, you know, your palate is so influenced by time of day, what you've had to eat that day, what you've had to drink that day. Um, for women, especially, it's hormone related as well. Um, so it, there's just so many different factors that go into how you perceive flavor profiles oh it's funny earlier you mentioned you 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 know untapped is something that can be frustrating for you but for me as someone uh, and i'm you've tried 10 times more beer than me i'm sure but like i'm in the thousand range now and it's like i'll go back and retry a beer that i had previously logged 
and I'll be like, I taste something different. Like I have a different opinion now. Absolutely. I don't trust my own memory. Shit. I don't even trust my own previous write-ups of that time. Cause like you're saying, I don't know what state of mind I was in when I logged it. So anyone that like claims in 2020 that their 2011 memory is so spot on for exactly how meta I, I never take that. I never take that seriously. Yeah. I'm like, Hard eye roll. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Hannah, here's a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Speaking with like evolving taste and all that, what's a beer that you had that like when you first either were started getting into craft or as you're going through it all, like you drank it and you're like, this is undrinkable. I don't know how people do this. But then you go back years later, maybe after being in the business for so long, you're like, oh, this is completely tame compared to what I've had since. Like for me, like early in my craft days, like I got a case of Smutty Nose. And to me, that was like the most like hop laden, ridiculous IPA I ever had, and it took me like four months to get through a case of it. Where I can go to it now, and I'm like, eh, it's an IPA. So, yeah, what was like the one that stands out for you like that? Well, so I don't know. I don't know if I can actually give you like just off the top of my head without really thinking about it. I don't know if I could give you a very specific beer example, but I can give you a hop example. Um, and this is like super pertinent to like physically like right now today. So Simcoe hops. I feel like when I first started drinking craft beers, especially IPAs, Simcoe was in everything. Um, it was like, it was just, it was the hop. Um, you know I mean? Weyerbacher had their, uh, like Simcoe, I forget what it was called, but like the Simcoe was used, I feel like in everything. Everywhere. And I just feel like I got really burned out on it. Um, it was oftentimes I feel like the the profiles that I were getting that I was getting out of it were um, super dank, which I'm down to dank, but like super dank, and it just had this lingering bitterness that wasn't it just wasn't my jam um and for a long time i kind of wrote off simcoe um i never designed a single recipe using simcoe um i mean when i was at freewell craggle is the number one beer that they brew number one seller and that's simcoe and citra i liked craggle but it, i never I would order it maybe once every three months. Um, but that was, that was a rare occasion. Um, it just, I don't know. It's Simcoe was just not my thing. So then um, we have this unofficial cat series uh, of beers. And uh, the second one in the series is being released this week. And it's called Krampus Cat. And I was thinking about well, what do I want to design this beer as? So, so he's the IPA, two hops. Um, I'm like, I feel like Simcoe. Like, I think I really just feel like I should give Simcoe a try again. So Simcoe tends to pull out a lot of uh, pine um, and like resinous pine sap uh, profile. Some people describe it as one of the cat piss hops. Um, so I, I know you laugh, but that's like actually a thing. Um, so like Simcoe, Chinook, uh, Columbus, sometimes Nugget, um, those are all sort of in that cat piss 
thing. It's I know. These all sound like weed names. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. I yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, hops and cannabis are in the same family, so yeah, it makes total sense. Um, That's true. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll give Simcoe a try again. So I ordered some and mind blown like this lot of simcoe that i got is just it is so fresh cut pine and citrus but it's like it reminds me so there's a a pine tree called con color fir um and like if you break the needles it's a common christmas tree but if you break the needles it smells like pithy orange but like also super juicy orange like a clementine Mm that's what this Simcoe smelled like. So when I, when I first opened this bag to use it in the brew, I mean, I was like, holy shit, (laughs) this is not Simcoe that I remember. Like, this is amazing. And it smelled like peach rings. It just, it smelled so fucking good. So, um, today we announced the release of Krampus Cap and I had like reshared it on my social media and I was getting, text messages and uh, Instagram and Facebook messages galore, like nonstop for like three hours today from people saying, oh my gosh, I need this beer. Oh my gosh, this sounds so good. And so I was like, you know what? Yeah, it, it, it was really good when I had it the other day when I transferred it into the bright tank, but like now that it's canned, I should probably taste it like in its final packaging format. So I found a low fill can and cracked it open and I'm not even kidding you guys. I sent a text message to Sean and Jim and I go, guys, dude, this shit is so fucking good. You got a hit. So, I, and I even said, I was like, this has sort of restored my my faith in Simcoe. Um, like, I, I think I, think I kind of want to use Simcoe some more. Um, so, that was a very long story to tell you about Simcoe, but... Uh, no, but yeah. I love that. And before we, I follow up with that. Maybe you could just put two cans on the side for us to buy off you, yeah. so we definitely can get it. I would love that. Now, did you have any friends from back in the day who, when you were bashing Simcoe, were like, "Ah, oh, look, you came crawling back"? <laughs> um, no, <laughs> not not so much in like uh, let me rub it in your face kind of way. But I actually had this conversation um, a couple times since this beer has been in the tank. Um, since I opened that bag of Simcoe, like I was telling a couple people, like, uh, you know, and we all sort of had the same, like kind of just got burned out on Simcoe, you know, like 10 years ago, it seemed like everything had Simcoe in it. And then all these new hops came about and those were way more fun than Simcoe and something <laughs> new. Um, and so we all sort of were just like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, we use Simcoe, but it's not, not what i would typically put into a hazy but yeah so i'm I'm actually really stoked to share this beer with some of those people that i've had this conversation with because we were all sort of on the same page about about it you also have nicer friends our friends would definitely rub our face in any mistake we made like that or if <laughs> yeah. we went back on it uh, <laughs> hey, what happened yeah. to that opinion dick uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you're not allowed to change opinions with our group. but it's funny you mentioned the hazy because um as a very general thing in in craft beer in general, like I feel like the dominant style for I don't know eight years, nine years more were always just IPAs, mm-hmm. and the latest 
you touched on it earlier. There's some PA breweries that made, I, in our opinion, made the whole milkshake IPA a thing. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's like in the past three years, people who are even vaguely in the craft beer are all of a sudden like hazies are the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, is that something like, did, have you noticed it on your end? Like, or is that just us maybe overlooking? Because it seems like every brewery, like, you know, my favorite beer style is probably a Russian Imperial Stout or some kind of stronger stout. Um, not necessarily bourbon barrel age, but just like, you know, a really good stout. Jim loves his sours. But it seems like every brewery, no matter what, are going to have two to three different IPAs on tap. And it's because they're catering to, I think that's the most popular style. Like, what do you think has been the attributing factor to that and then leading into the hazies? Um, I think a lot of it goes back to the innovation factor, right? So, um, as, so there's so many different ways to answer this question. Um, so, <laughs> and I know I just yeah, threw a lot at well, you. Well, <laughs> no, so I was going to say, um, hops are constantly being invented like that's not even the right word but uh cultivated um new new hop profiles geno genotypes i don't know i don't whatever it is well they're basically gonna cross pollinating yeah so so they're constantly coming out with new things and you know the a great way to showcase a lot of those is obviously in in ipas um so one of the characteristics of um a New England style IPA or a hazy IPA. So to me, a milkshake IPA is gonna have lactose in it. Um, A hazy IPA is gonna be sort of same realm, just sans lactose. Um, And a New England IPA can have lactose or not have lactose. Um, That's the way that I view it. I don't know if, I mean, I could probably look up some more definitions of that, but, Hazy IPAs and milkshake IPAs. Uh, hi, cat. She's back. <laughs> it's all right. My dogs are over there uh, making their noise. So. Um, so one of the characteristics of, of a hazy IPA is that it is going to have some bitterness, but it's going to have much more um, aroma and flavor versus that deep bitterness, right? So a lot of these yeah. new hops that are emerging are best utilized as late edition hops, which are going to give you that flavor and that aroma. Um, so I think, I think it's a, and which drives which, I don't know. Is it the yeah. hop market is driving the hazy train or is it the hazy train is driving the hop market? The I don't know. Um, I think it's probably a little bit of both. Um, and I think it's, again, people trying to be innovative and coming up with ways to utilize these new hot profiles um, that are coming about. But there's also so much more research that's being done on how to best utilize hops um, and when you add it and how the pH of your beer can affect that and the time in which your beer is in contact with the hops and and there's just so many different factors and so much more research that's being done on it. Um, that, you know, small little tweaks here or there can completely change the flavor profile, um, of, of what you 
thought this hop could produce and and now you're utilizing it in a different way and you're getting a completely different profile so I, yeah i don't know i don't know if i really answered your question or no they... you did i mean i mean the problem is like i said it, it's tough because like you're saying it's a matter of which is driving which with the evolution of the hops and i think there's also something to be said and correct me if i'm wrong but there is a uh you know in doing research for for some of the projects i have for our site you know looking into different beer types and i know the definitions and categorizations of all the different styles i think i found over 186 different styles of beer mm -hmm. if you keep breaking them down mm -hmm. um <clears throat> not suggesting ipas are the easier but it seems like there are certain brews that you know if you have the hops that can really drive all the different variations and right now the market for consumers seems to be that ipas whether it be hazy milkshake or any type double whatever like they just they they're ipa crazed and i was kind of curious like you said earlier simcoe were a thing and jim and i when we first started the site so many people like god forbid if it didn't taste like pure pine cone or just pine trees everyone was like oh that's not a real craft beer and it was usually with those Simcoe's like you were saying. And Jim and I never understood. We're like, yeah, but it's like really bitter. Like we don't get it. Um, and we like it now. But at the same time, it is an acquired taste. But it's almost like a badge of honor that like if you can take the most bitter IPA, you were a real beer drinker. Right. Um, and unfortunately, we, we had a lot of people around us that had that mentality. So, you know, as we've grown up it seems like more and more like i said ipa is going nowhere it's just now variations whether you go that milkshake camp whether you go the hazy or double whatever you do that seems to be the way that the market keeps going and when you see that does that influence you as a you know a head brewer to say well i better make sure i have like one or two ipas on tap no matter what yeah absolutely um and i think that you kind of summarized um why hazies are are so popular and the fact that um they are a little bit less of that super abrasive bitterness um which makes it more approachable for people um and so again it sometimes can provide that sort of gateway um you know when one of my favorite things is when people say to me, well, I don't like hoppy beers or I don't like IPAs. And I always come back and say, well, you just haven't found the right one yet. Um, mm -hmm. so there are so many different possibilities of flavor profiles um, and just keep trying. Um, you never know when you're gonna find one that you really like. Um, and play with different hop combinations is super cool. Uh, I really enjoy that side of things. Um, so Krampus Cat is Simcoe and Mosaic. Um, Mosaic. It's a, a really cool flavor profile. Um, the last beer in the Cat series that I did was Zabro and Citra. Um, the next hazy that I'm brewing will be um, Galaxy, Comet, and Southern Cross. Um, so experimenting with these different combinations is i mean you just you have this you have the world at your fingertips of this. Um, <laughs> yeah. and it, that's really cool um 
So yeah, I don't know. Um, it is. I think that I think that it allows for a lot of creativity uh, for people, and um, you know, hops are a really easy thing to change. Um, you can so you know I'll give away some of my trade secrets here. Um, <laughs> Get your notepad, Jim. <laughs> there's, um, in my opinion, and this is a, a common saying that I will use is, you know, there's no, no reason to reinvent the wheel. Um, you know, if you find a recipe that works really well, that you know you can produce, go with it. Um, for oh, yeah. my hazy IPAs, um, whether it's one of the cat series, the unofficial cat series, or it's one of the, um, you know, hazy double IPAs trade secret. It's the exact same fucking recipe. Um, and <laughs> yep. for a lot of breweries, it's the exact same fucking recipe. Um, the, the <laughs> difference between my, uh, regular and double IPA recipe is just more malt <laughs> or less malt um any any amount of hops um you know is uh you know set ratio within that but just change your your hops um there's no no need to to change the entire beer and so i think that that gives people a little bit of um predictability on from a production standpoint but sure a uh, something new and that that actually takes me to another point which is today's craft beer consumers want something new all the time they don't want to go into their brewery and you know their favorite brewery and see the same things on tap um they want to see maybe one or two of the same things because they'll also complain that, like well, why don't you still have this um but they want the new stuff constantly and so when when every week, because this is where we are right now in this market, is breweries that can are expected to do weekly can releases. We can't keep up with that yeah. personally. Um, we try, but people expect weekly can releases. And sometimes these breweries are putting out two or three new cans, new beers per week. Do you know how exhausting that is to write that many recipes, source that many different ingredients, keep track of everything, design all of these labels. Now, granted, the breweries that are doing this have a much bigger staff than just one um, yeah. to do all those things. But, you know, even doing weekly releases, like I've gotten into a flow and a pattern and I kind of have things in sort of, I don't want to say plug and play, but like I've developed some... Um, mechanisms on my end that help me to manage that but that's a lot of work <laughs> it's a lot of work to do that um so having to write a new recipe for all of these beers becomes really exhausting so that's that's why you see breweries doing um beers as sort of a series right so it's the same series, yep. basic concept it might be the same base recipe but you're changing the fruit or you're changing the hops um Maybe you're changing one malt instead of using pale malt. You're using Pilsner malt, um, but yeah, the market unfor like well, I don't want to use the term unfortunately, but the market definitely has I think pushed that onto a lot of breweries, and you know a perfect example. And once again, if you know anyone from there, don't step on toes. But I know someone personally who was affected or dealt with 
like tired hands they're a perfect example of a can release all the time and they have some of their mainstays but there's almost a collector mentality and us being in the video games we talk about all the time it's like I want to be the guy that's tried every can and I want to be in line and I want to be able to say I tried all this shit but it's like to a regular consumer and even Jim and I were more than just regular consumers I don't want to have to commit three, four hours to go down, stand in line, maybe get a beer that's not going to be available again. Because if I love it, what's the like, I don't want to just love it for that minute. Like, so there's something to what you said. Trogues went from the labels they did to more minimalist. And I feel like right now that idea of the can release is that crazy label. And eventually, like, I want to be able to come back to Naked and say, I want another way to my heart. Oh, it was only available for that one day? Well, that sucks, because I've really enjoyed it. Like, there's some something nice about consistency and stability. And who knows, with COVID and everything, maybe that shit will calm down. But for us, that never appealed to us. Like, I don't want to just be a can chaser just so I can have bragging points to say, I tried every beer released. Because, yeah, like, you're going to start liking it and you're losing that that I- identity of what is this brewery able to put out that is consistently I sit down and just enjoy a beer. Right. Like, you know, it doesn't right. always have to be I had it for these two hours. I don't know. Right. And I think that there's pros and cons to both sides of that. And I do see it from both sides. Um, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. I've, I've, I've sort of tried to create a structure where um, we're doing new beers, but they're, most of them are sort of falling into certain categories. And so, okay. So we have the Covet series, which um, I know you guys were both drinking. So the Covet series is our fruited, our um, fruited new age or kettle sour series. And so same concept, it's same base beer and we're changing the fruit in it. So whenever you see um, that label where it says Covet, you know kind of what to expect. Now that fruit is going to change, but you kind of know what you're going to get. Um, same with the cat series, you know, it's going to be a hazy IPA. Um, and then, uh, our highly appropriate series. So that's more of a a milkshake IPA, but it's not super sweet, um, with fruit. And so the first one that we did, uh, we didn't can, this was actually the first beer that I brewed was, uh, peaches and cream. First one that we actually canned was pineapple. The next one that will be released, um, next week or the week after is passion fruit um so again you sort of understand and know what to expect but it's still new so it's new without being like the new new (laughs) it's with some level of familiarity and i think that there's something to be said for that um no i i love that yeah i was actually talking to um uh brand manager um, from another brewery today who reached out to me and was just like, dude, that Krampus cat label is dope. And I was like, thanks. And then we kind of got to talking back and forth. And um, I really respect this person and what they've been able to do and their insight. And, um, you know, sort of giving him some insight into what I was trying to do. And it felt good to get some affirmation that, you know, the way that I was approaching it was the way that he would have approached it. 
considering that, you know, that's all that he does and I'm doing that <laughs> and 10,000 other things. So, um, so that felt kind of good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, I, 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 that obviously, yeah, I can't imagine how good that feels. Cause like you said, your main focus is making the beer, but you're yeah. doing these side things and it's nice now, but obviously I think down the line for growth sakes, you can't, you hopefully will have a big enough staff that you don't have to do every hat under the sun. Right. Right. But right I, now that's, that's what needs to happen. Um, sure. You know, it's trim the fat where you can <laughs> be lean um, so that we can hopefully make it to the other side of all of this. Um, I know. Well, let me ask you one thing. So you're talking about creating beers and Krampus cat. I love the name. And we <laughs> talked about label art, but we we've seen in the news like there's been a lot of issues now with um i think i i, I was talking about last year uh you know breweries were the highest uh, growing market in terms of new jobs by some crazy percentage and it, it grew so crazy and with so many eventually names are going to run out and there started to be a lot of like, you know, you see very silly names like one of the, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you feel about their beers, but the mo some of the more ridiculous names, you know, always come from Evil Genius and some of the things they put out. But like, I we love those names, but like even naming it, we've seen people start copywriting names of things and how aware like when you came up with krampus cat did you have to first do a search make sure like i mean make sure somebody doesn't have this beer because shit there's a movie yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you want to know what i use i just go on untapped because i figure if the beer yeah. is in existence it's going to be on untapped um it's a good source yeah there is not actually so all of our labels even if all of our beers, I should say, even if they don't go into cans and they're draft only, they have to be submitted to the federal government. However, uh, the federal government doesn't, that, that sector doesn't regulate names. Like they don't give a fuck. <laughs> you can yeah, have the same they name. Don't care. Yeah. You right. can have the same name as the brewery that's next door to you. And they don't, they have, they literally don't care. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, federal government has really, they, they literally don't care about names. Sure. Um, that's not to say that another brewery might not care. Um, <sighs> names, names are tough. Um, I have several friends uh, that have either gone through trying to open a brewery, are opening a brewery or have opened a brewery and almost none of them were able to stick with the original name that they intended mm. to name their brewery um, because they, you know, check trademarks and, um, you know, all somebody. sorts of other stuff. Yeah. And somebody has it in you somewhere else. Um, and that gets really tough. And I can only imagine how frustrating that must be um, when you dream of opening a brewery and you have this name that it's all centered around and then you come to find out that you can't have that and then you go for the next one and you can't have that and uh, before you know it you're 15 down on the list and you're like what am i even doing this for like, do i, I even do i even believe in this anymore i'm not really <laughs> sure um so you know that's that can be really frustrating um but as far as naming beers 
Yeah, I mean, I check untapped. Um, I look at that and I use my best judgment too because we're a small, small, small brewery. Um, if I see that there is another brewery in Estonia that is <laughs> named a beer, yeah. they're what I'm looking for, but that beer hasn't been in production since 2016. Okay, I'm going to use it yeah. because yeah. Right. the likelihood of that ever causing any kind of controversy is slim to none. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's actually funny you mentioned that because, like, my band, like, we haven't practiced in a year because of COVID and all that, but it's called a Fusion 35. It used to be called a Fusion. And, like, I, me and the bass player took over for the original members, so it's been around a while. Back in, like, the MySpace days, they got a message from an Fusion in California that was like, Hey, you have our name. And we're like, they were like, okay, what do you want us to do? Like, we're both nobodies. And they're like, well, you got to change or we have to sue. So they just threw the numbers at the end of it. Again, two, like, bands that really, brass tacks, no one knows who the fuck they are, even all these years later. No one's going, oh, my God, the California Fusion. They're like, no one knows who that (laughs) is. They're probably not even around anymore. So it's still just, like, that kind of funny thing where, like, people can be so overly protective of, like, almost dead stuff where something doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. 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 Well, what's funny is my buddy's wife is um, a trademark lawyer. And even when we developed our site, like going through that, the amount of people that will trademark names don't actually plan on doing shit with it. But like you're saying, like the that is the I I don't know. Copyright trolls. I mean, it, to me, it's just it's just disgusting when you hold on to a name, you don't have any t- intent other than to sell it to someone who, like you said, if you have someone who's a lifelong dream, I want to become a brewer, I have this great name, and some asshole just bought the name with the hopes to sell it to somebody who wants it in the future, I, I'm not down with that. But then there's, like, the cases of... We have seen, uh, we've reported on here, like, yeah, somebody who's in Indiana and somebody who's in Florida, small breweries, they have the same name, whatever you want to, yeah, whatever stout. And one of them just decides, you know what, we're just going to sue just to get that name off or at least send a cease and desist. I I don't get that. It's There's that famine thinking, like, you can't all thrive together. Like, I don't get that mentality. But at the same time, then yeah. there's people we saw who have copyrighted, like, legit band names or something. Like, Guns N' Roses has sued multiple breweries because of somebody using, like, Guns and Hops or, like, something that was basically, like, they used their artwork and stuff. That I get. Like, you're working off the exact, like... Yeah, the likeness of what it is. Yeah. yeah. So, it's like, there I get it. But it's like, like you're saying, if you guys are, if you're smaller, you're both coming up. It's like, really? Do you really need to ruffle feathers? Like, can't you all just work towards something? Yeah. Um, I know from the previous brewery that I was at, um, they were involved in several disputes with that. Uh, One of them was drawn out for years. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, Uh, some dick with mine to burn, just doing it um yeah i mean they were they were coming after free will for their name like after free will had been around for several years um and they they wanted the name um that's ridiculous yeah Yeah. and they didn't it, it was eventually settled um and we couldn't 
I think it was, we couldn't distribute within a hundred miles of their brewery. They're in North Carolina. So, I mean, it really. <laughs> so you're like, okay, we're good. <laughs> yeah. It really wasn't a huge deal, except that it did come into play a few times when there were um, some festivals and things that, that were happening and then, or like collaborations and um, people wanted to have events where like we would do a tap takeover somewhere and we had to look and see are we within a hundred miles of this other brewery? Um, so, you know, it did happen a few times. Um, there was a, a beer that we did that had won multiple awards that was called Black Friday. And um, once it won awards and started to get some notoriety. It did Cypress Hill come after you? It got on the radar. No, it got on the radar of another <laughs> brewery that had uh, a beer by the same name. And so we ended up changing it. Um, so Black Friday became Ella. But uh, yeah, you know, it sucks. Um, you know, I think, I forget who the two breweries were. I'm pretty sure Dogfish Head was one of them. I can't remember who the other one was, but it, they, there were two well-known breweries that both had a beer named the same thing. This is, I don't know, going back probably six, seven, eight years ago. And they were aware of it, sent each other a cease and desist, and they ended up putting a collab together. That's <laughs> and they, awesome. They called wow. it coll collaboration, not litigation. Um, oh, that's, that's awesome. pretty cool. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So there's there's plenty of examples of breweries that you know do it right or work it out or yeah or you know you reach out initially just you know friend to friend you know even though you don't know each other necessarily but you know we're all in this beer industry together so yeah you reach out either social media or get an email or something and just say hey you know just so you know, we've been doing a beer by this name for since X date. And, you know, I don't know how long you guys have been doing this beer, but, um, you know, let's talk about this. And there's so many different things that could come out of that, you know, yeah. like whether you come to the agreement that like, hey, yeah, we're in Florida and you're in Wisconsin and we're never going to distribute in the <laughs> same market. Um, or you say, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. And yeah, you know, there is a chance maybe we'll distribute in the same market. So, okay, let's figure this out. And one of us changes. And, you know, there's so many different ways to go about it. Um, uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of gray areas. And it's funny because one of the topics Jim and I have covered probably more times than we wanted to. Some could um, say it's a favorite. Uh, it's definitely a gym favorite. <laughs> yes, one it is. At this point, I'm kind of almost tired of. I have very strong opinions. But, um, you know, Stone Brewing has been in the news multiple times. Initially, it was with uh, a lawsuit against Keystone when Keystone rebranded and had the key and the stone really big. Um, we ultimately, I think, agreed like, okay, that seemed weird that Stone Keystone did that. It's... The only part of the argument we seem to be weird was, as we said, being very big consumers, we've never been in a beer store, a craft beer store, where we would see a Keystone next to a Stone Brewing mm -hmm. and confuse the two. But then again, you know, maybe someone who is super uneducated, there could they could mix up the two. We put that aside and said, okay, that makes sense. You're kind of going after someone bigger. 
uh, we didn't care too much about Keystone, even though that's Jim's go-to cheap God beer. God damn you, I care. <laughs> um, that is my summer beer. That is my vacation beer. <laughs> Jim, I told you, you need to stick with Beast. What are you talking about? No, oh, my dad God. drinks the Beast. No, my dad oh, drinks God. the Beast. He drinks <laughs> the Beast. I drink the Keystone. My grandfather drank Beast Ice. Oh my god! My 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 dad is seventy eight, so it fits the bill. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. But well, but that but you know and, and you know if you know him, we apologize. But like the the way that what was his name, Jim? I know you know Greg. Name, Greg. 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 Yep. It, it was the. It seemed to come off semi pretentious the way he was writing about it, and we're like, whatever. He's very passionate. We get it. But then we've seen recently he's been going after other breweries and the one and oh man I'm gonna screw this up was it Sawstone I think Sawstone yep. yeah and and they're a small brewery mm-hmm. and it seems like they're going after them now saying like you're using so it's almost like they're saying like if you have the word stone in any part of your name that's a no go and we're gonna come after you we got the Keystone we felt like this was more punching down. And you of all people know, like, obviously, if somebody came at you and came up with a, you know, a brewery like, hey, uh, bare naked or something, some variation, like, how would that make you feel? And do you have any opinions on that situation? Well, so (laughs) funny enough. um, So most of my family doesn't drink I should say most of my dad's side of the family doesn't drink craft beer at all. Um, most of them really don't drink or they don't, they definitely don't drink beer. Um, so I got this random text message. It's like maybe in August from one of my aunts and she, it was so cute. She's like, Hey Hannah, um, I know that you work for um, Naked Brewing, but um, I have these coupons for um, Naked Wine, and I was wondering if you know anything about their wines. Um, you know, since you know, and so I, like she she totally thought we were the same company, um, which I thought was so freaking cute. And like, how do I tell my aunt that? like oh no honey we're not at all the same (laughs) um but that's a really great example right and like it didn't even like yes i know naked wines um but it didn't even like i don't know i don't know why it didn't cross my mind that that could ever be something that would be confused (laughs) but that's kind of a good example right like they're a pretty big company now granted uh as a brewery we've been incorporated since 2010 so we've actually been around longer and have held that name longer than the winery but they're way bigger uh with a lot more money (laughs) so if they really wanted to fight like they could um but they don't because what are they gonna get like why there's no point because you're gonna confuse you are at that point right you're gonna confuse one you know 60 year old aunt okay cool (laughs) (laughs) never underestimate the normies maybe we're just all too involved in this so i don't know i mean if somebody were to come after come after me for like a beer name or something i don't i don't know i don't know i mean i get it to an extent because if it's something that is super ingenuitive and just kind of obscure 
and somebody yeah. else randomly comes up with it or has it, you do maybe sort of wonder and go, did you randomly come up with that? Or did you, did you kind of steal that? Or, yeah. or is it like, wow, that was really obscure. And so because that name is so prominently different and now you're coming up with such a prominently different name, are those two potentially going to be confused because they are so different? Are people going to assume that they're the same? Like, so there are instances where I, I do 100% understand it and understand yeah. protecting your brand and what you've built. Um, and this kind of goes along with the IP theft thing, right? So like you have companies that have developed branding, imaging, names, color schemes, all of these different things. And that you know, you have another, uh, you know, company that comes along and says, ha I think that this is going to be funny. I'm going to take this and I'm going to change the name from being, you know, sort of fruit loops. You make it, you know, loop fruits, loop fruits. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, really, yeah. first of all, that's just lazy. And second of all, you just hijacked that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's Third just... off, that's her new channel name. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I fully get that. And that's why we said the thing with stone is weird is stone. Stone. Itself, it's just a word. Yeah. Like, My if, fucking if, fireplace <laughs> is stone. Like. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, and, and that's what drove me if they were the fucking doozlemites and somebody was like that i'm using that that yeah. seems more obscure you're using stone and yes yeah, saw stone and there could be a, a reason behind that or like you know you could use stone in a million different ways and it just i hope that's not a pattern and i hope that's something they're not pursuing hard against them but it just it, it's it sucks for us because like I said, we kind of had our bad taste in our mouth the way Greg had handled the initial PR with the Keystone. Mm -hmm. And then this happened, and we're like, ah. And it, it doubly sucks because we really like the beers from there. So it's kind of like, yeah. It's, and we're not like one of those, oh, we, you have to now boycott people. But it's one of those where it's just like, don't make it about that. Like, you know. I, I am I genuinely interested to understand how stone can trademark and fight with the word stone because i always thought that common words like that couldn't be trademarked but i i, I mean i don't i don't know enough i'm not a legal expert by any yeah unless so it's when, within the industry or something maybe there's some weird caveat there yeah, wow. i don't know well, no. so the interesting thing the reason they were able to fight keystone and i only noticed because i talked to my buddy's wife uh with the keystone because stone was so prominent and the font was semi-close there was like a likeness issue okay. and the display of the font the word itself wasn't so much issue versus how it was the displayed on the cat yeah. yeah whereas like i said that's where with the saw stone i'm like where is their standing because it's not like there's like saw is really small and stone is huge it's saw stone it's one word it is one word and i could understand if like their logo was a gargoyle I could, yeah, exactly. like, I could totally understand Stone going, guys, come on. Like, yeah. okay, we've already done this. We're not doing this again, you know. But, yeah. 
it, it's it's odd it, it makes me sad just to see it because it's like you <laughs> i'll be make good beer here. it's like I'll, shit no but i'll be corny i'll say literally the batman thing it's like you live long enough to be the good guy or you become the villain and yeah you don't want to see that because they always were such a advocate for craft breweries yeah independent 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 yeah like craft beer yeah and it's like oh man like i don't want to see that so hopefully that doesn't go down anyway but i was very curious from your take where you like what you thought about that so yeah yeah i mean i think i think we all sort of are on the same same page and i don't i don't really have any more insight um yeah now bry social experiment time Okay. We go out, we buy a little brew kit, do a little press release out there, call ourselves Buttstone Brewery. <laughs> do they come after us? I think they will, Jim. I think they definitely <laughs> will. I, I, I just want to have every beer publication have to write Buttstone a thousand times. <laughs> uh, we're just going to add a lot of salt to beer and call it Kidney Stones, and they're going to enjoy it, and that's it. <laughs> there you go. That will be rich. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, speaking of breweries, one thing I was very curious, Hannah, and I know you've already done collaborations, and I was curious, like, if there's any ones you can share with us of any breweries that are, like, you would really love moving forward to collaborate with. Um, so I think that there's a couple different perspectives on doing collaborations. One is there's like the breweries that I'm like, man, I would love to do a collaboration with them because I just want to learn from them. I want to, I just, I want to brew with them. Like they're a wealth of knowledge. I've idolized them. I really admire them. I look up to them. And then there's the breweries that I want to do collaborations with just because they're my homies. I'm like, mm-hmm. I just want to fucking brew with them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I think, I think there's, you know, there's two different, two different sides to that. And, and, and yeah. the, that, that could be a Venn diagram where, you know, they, they overlap each other. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, where you can have your, your breweries that you really look up to, um, but they're also for your homies. Um, yeah. So, you know, for, for the short term, um, you know, collaborations are a little bit harder to do right now because sure. of COVID. Um, and, but in 2021, you know, yeah, there's definitely a couple of breweries that I would love to be able to collab with, and I hope I get the opportunity to. Um, Bond Place would be one of them. Um, Sam and uh, Josh and Ryan, like, they're they're my homies, but Sam especially. Uh, I love that dude. Um, and they just produce such solid beer. And I would actually say that they're a brewery that I also really look up to as well. So mm-hmm. they sort of are in that that center shared portion of the Venn diagram. Um, and, you know, yeah, I don't know. Bomb Place is definitely one. Um, All right. I would love to brew with Love City um, again because I really admire what Kevin and Melissa have built as a company and as a couple. Um, I adore them as humans i adore them as business people i adore kevin as a brewer um but also they make solid beer and you know like i had mentioned earlier kevin and i have known each other since sophomore year of college so so um, yeah so there's you know a good relationship there um yeah i mean there's forest and maine would be on my list too (laughs) Um, okay they would be they're pretty high up on my list of breweries that i probably will never actually go up with 
not true because I did collab with them uh, when I was at Free Will. So okay. I have actually collabed with them. I just haven't you collabed have to foot with in the them. Door. Just not yeah, with I just haven't yeah. collabed with them on my own. And let's not forget in 2022, uh, the Guinness collaboration. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the Genesee collaboration. That's what we oh. really need. So that's actually not unattainable. <laughs> that is not unattainable. Oh. There have been other breweries that have done it. Um, when I, so I had been asking to do a cream ale at Free Will since the day that I started. And I was always told, it'll never sell, it'll never sell, it'll never sell. Like, we're never gonna do that. Okay, guys, fine, whatever. <laughs> but like, I would still drop that hint um, constantly. Right. And I will never forget where I was, what I was doing, the moment that this happened. John came up to me, I was CIP in a tank, and I was bent over hooking up hoses and stuff to this pump. Like John comes up beside me and he's like, Hey, uh, uh, I'm, I'm gonna need you to write me a, a cream ale recipe. And I did like the fucking bend and snap, like from Legally Blonde, like to what? It was like, I'm sorry, one more time. Was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need you to write me a cream ale recipe. And I go, Oh my God, it's happening. And I was like, Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Seriously. And he's like, yeah can you just write it and i was like i'll have it on your desk by the end of the day and he's like i mean you don't have to, you could take if you i was like nope it'll be on your desk by the end of the day uh and my whole goal with that was i wanted it to be like jenny kareem like that was my thing so that was really my inspiration and when we did it um and released it i posted about it and i made a reference to genesee cream ale and then they responded to me, and then they started following me on Instagram. And I was like, my Ooh, life is complete. There you go. <laughs> I have now made it. <laughs> That's all I needed. <laughs> That's awesome. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I'm necessarily on the scale yet and have enough of a hype reputation behind me to warrant them wanting to do a collab with me. Um, but you never know. It could happen. <laughs> Everyone write to Genesee and say, do it. Yeah, it could happen. We'll see. Have a third um, beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty well known amongst amongst the industry and people uh, that cream ale is my favorite. So imagine how excited I was when I went to Naked. So they gave me free creative control over, yeah. over everything. Um, they said... Carte Blanche, you can do whatever you want. You can 86 any recipes you want. You can keep any recipes that you want. You can change any recipes you want. You have free reign. The only beer that we ask that you continue to produce that is always on tap is our cream ale. And I go, <laughs> fucking done. done. <laughs> of course, yeah. You're like, um, yeah. Now, they did tell me that I had control to, to tweak and change the recipe. And I did. Um, to make it a little bit more in line with what I felt was appropriate for the style. Um, but I did really like the cream ale recipe that was already there. So I, I just sort of modified it a little bit, but um, nice. yeah. So that was, that was kind of cool. Um, like, okay, I definitely landed someplace cool. And we're in this weird, we have this weird cross section of beer consumers where our cream ale is our number one selling beer. Please name me another brewery that that's the case because yeah. I don't think you're going to find one. Nope. <laughs> it's, 
we just, yeah, we're in this weird, weird cross section of, of craft beer consumers. I'm not complaining about it. Um, but no, but that's one of the things we mentioned earlier. Like everyone is so just IPA heavy and to see a cream ale, like to drink that. And a lot of people, you know, cream ale is an interesting brew in general because of the way I'll tell you the way it's brewed. It is so different than a typical ale and everything. And it's so easy to drink. Like to me, that reads as I don't generally love the term session beers, but like I could sit there and drink that all day. You know, it's called the lawnmower beer. Like that's, that's what it's called. That's it. Yeah. Cream ale is the lawnmower beer. And it's called that for a reason because it's what you can drink in the summer when you're mowing your lawn, when you're done mowing your lawn, you can have it for breakfast. You can have it for dinner. You can have it whenever you want. (laughs) It's, it's a very, uh, I don't accessible beer. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. It's very approachable for anybody. Um, it's beer flavored beer. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that would be pretty awesome, though. See a naked Genesee. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. So let we'll me ask see. you this. You mentioned, so the Krampus Cat you just announced today. Mm-hmm. Um, what else can we expect from Naked? Or what else can you speak about that we can expect from the future of Naked? And obviously, with the caveat, we know with COVID going on and not knowing what the future holds, but uh, are there any, any yeah. exciting plans coming um, I mean, I can tell you what's going to be released between now and the end of the year. Um, and beyond that, we're still sort of working on solidifying some plans um, beyond the end of the year because we're kind of trying to figure out what next year is going to hold for us uh, sure. for the industry. Aren't in we all? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we have a highly appropriate passion fruit coming out. Um, so that's a hazy IPA with lactose and passion fruit and hopped with Azaka and mosaic. Um, it's a subtle fruit character, but it's definitely there, but it's a, a nice subtle fruit character and the lactose is not very much. So it only contributes a tiny tinge of sweetness. Um, but again, it's not. If you are not lactose intolerant but have issues with some of these beers that have a lot of lactose in it, this will not be a beer that you'll have an issue with. <laughs> okay. Um, we have a bourbon barrel aged imperial stout coming out. Um, that's called Hello Starshine. Um, I'm really excited for that label too. Gabby actually took watercolor to paper um, and did that label, Ooh, and it's beautiful. Wow. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, and then a beer that I am super excited about, um, brewing it next week. Um, I'm actually brewing it with my brother. So he's going to come out and brew with me. Um, and it's <laughs> called Pulsating Cosmic Soup. And uh, Interesting. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> a hazy double IPA um, with okay. Galaxy Comet and Southern Cross. Um, as well as hibiscus, and uh, it's also going to get glitter in it. <laughs> what? That's crazy. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like if there ever was going to be a beer um, that was going to have glitter, it's going to be this this beer. So there's a whole super rad story that goes into it, and it really was just like this organic back and forth conversation between my brother and I um, that came about, and it all started with um a a fun like science experiment that he was doing with his two little kiddos um 
at home one day and it involved food coloring and uh, milk. And if you take milk and like put it in a saucer and you drop some food coloring and then you take dish detergent and you drop the dish detergent, it makes these really cool starbursts like tie dye looking things, Ooh, huh. super trippy. um but it's super cool and my brother was just talking about he was showing me all these different pictures of these things that he had done and um my brother's real artsy and um he's a hippie like me and uh so he was just uh, we were just like we were just vibing off of each other with this and he was like yeah you know it's time for me to go feed the kids some lunch and uh he was like, yeah, you know, come on, kids, time for your pulsating cosmic soup. And I was like, ah, oh, that would make a dope beer name. And he goes, I knew you were going to latch on to that. Um, and it just sort of snowballed from there. And we just, yeah, we just kind of went with it. And uh, the one of the pictures that he sent me of this science experiment that he was doing, it's going to become uh, the label. And... Um, we collaborated sort of on this idea of what this beer was going to be. And I was like, I feel like we have to have glitter in it. And he was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So I'm, That's I'm awesome. really excited about it. Um, my brother's just a super cool human. Um, yeah. Um, this might be the beer that I'm most excited. Um, of all the beers that I've ever brewed, this might be the beer that I'm most excited to brew. Um, cause just cause well, it's super special with my brother so well i i can i'll speak for jim i know we are going to be excited to try that so i can't wait to hear about the release and uh yeah, oh yeah. it's gonna be our new year's beer so awesome yeah nice. yeah it'll be released <laughs> um either new year's eve or the day before i depending upon how that works out but yeah so another reason that i think glitter just deserves to be in there <laughs> <laughs> definitely yeah party beer. Now, i like that um but yeah, so let me ask you, uh, when you brew a beer like that, do you have like an ABV in mind? Like, do you know the range you want it to be at? Um, yeah. I know it can change as you're brewing and you just set a general like, ah, it's between here and here. Or is it, do you try and hit a specific number? Yeah. Um, so for like the cat series, I really wanted that to be 6.6. Don't ask me why i just really wanted all of those beers to be 6.6 so i developed that recipe so it would be 6.6 for things like pulsating cosmic soup uh, i because of the the style of it being a a double ipa or hazy double ipa um eight percent or above is where i think it should be um somewhere between eight and ten percent um, yeah. so as I developed the recipe, you know, that sort of dictated where that ABV would be. Gotcha. Um, okay. So make things... it 15% send people to the stars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So things like, like the cream ale, um, that comes in at 5.3 and I was, you know, I wanted that beer to be somewhere between five and you know low fives sure yeah to keep it that drink that drinkability yeah well it's funny you're saying about 
you know, how when you're brewing it, because after trying both these beers and we didn't, ma- we, we, I know we didn't even talk about Covet. Going, I know we didn't even get a chance to talk about Covet, but you know, this is the pineapple mango. What's interesting is after I finished this one, I looked and I noticed this was 6.9%. I actually is? felt like that went down smoother than way to my heart. No shit. Interesting. But my caveat to that is me personally i think i like the flavors and weight of my heart better but the it was the uh covet would seemed a little less tart and it went down smoother like i felt like i didn't notice the alcohol which is one of those we would always describe as it's dangerous because it can sneak up on you because you'll Mm -hmm. be drinking and you'll be like that's not bad and then 6.9 it'll just it'll get to you whereas weight of my heart is 5.3 so there's a pretty big difference there um and you know i'm sure it's a very odd question to ask but of those two do you have a favorite between those two um not really they're so different from each other um so no i don't i don't know that i really have a a preference between those two um yeah yeah, I don't think I really have a preference between those two. Sorry. Really no, 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 no. I, I, I don't, I don't expect – here's the deal. I can't imagine, like like, like you said, you're brewing these beers. Picking a child. You, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, you're literally – how do you choose? Because they are so different. If they were a little bit closer, but um, even though they're both sours yeah, with milk sugar, that's where they end as far as I, I can tell. Yeah, like I said, and they're not even produced the same way. For being two sour ales, they weren't even produced the same way. So, yeah. The, like, there's, yeah, there's so many differences between the two. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, putting aside just flavor profiles, the mouthfeel between the two was drastically different. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, the weight of my heart felt like, I was like, right, wow, this is creamy sour. I've never had that before. Whereas the covet was maybe a little more closer to what I'm used to, but there was a thickness to it, and I can't say creamy. I don't know the right verbiage here, but like you know, there was just something a, a fuller mouthfeel. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I I might have liked the flavor a little more, but I love how drinkable the covet, like the drinkable, just went down way too easy. <laughs> you, know, you know what's weird? When I was thinking in my head, I was like. If you're a person who, like, fucking hates champagne or something like that, like, this could almost be, like, a mimosa replacement with, like, the citrus, but, like, totally. the alcohol and the carbonation that was there. Because I was just, like, I didn't want to, like, go full, like, explain to a five-year-old. And it's, like, all right, imagine you put poured champagne into, like, a high C twister or something like that. But for, I, as I was drinking this, I was, like, man, this is just really that kind of, like, early day or early day, all day kind of. And both of your, like, I'm the big sour guy. And both of these beers, the sour was really understated from that usual, like, in-your-face tartness that you get with sours. So it was, like, impressive the way how both of them infused so many more flavors into there while you're still drinking it and going, oh, yeah, this is a sour, but not, like, getting, like, punched in the face with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not uh, enamel removing, removing from your teeth. Yeah. Yeah, and as Jim said, Covet, to me, almost reads as more... I think morning, I think afternoon, I think sun. Whereas way to my heart, I think that's dessert all the way. Like it's a perfect nighttime, like just two different times of day. Yeah. Yeah. As I'm drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with, with those assessments at all. Um, And 
I wouldn't say that. Yeah, pretty great. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, yeah, I do. She's like, I do a pretty good job. They are perfect beers, aren't they? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) (laughs) no, I mean that exactly what you guys said is sort of um, some of the thought process that I had in designing these beers um, and having the. I always struggle on how to actually phrase this, the, the foresight, but it's not even foresight because it's not the sense that I'm using. Um, but the foresight to understand the ingredients that I'm using and how they play together and what that will result in. Uh, that for me is both fun and super intimidating at the same time, but it's also, it's really fun. Um, Cause nice. it's, it's taking all these different things and going, Okay, I've never done things in this combination before. I can't say with 100% certainty that I know how this is going to turn out. (laughs) Using best practices and all my empirical evidence of things that I've used and done before, this is how I think it's going to turn out. Um, So when it turns out that way, and or turns out that way and better, um, you know, it's sort of like a Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess I can do nice. this. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a very good. Just pat yourself on the back. Moment. You know what you did. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Well, well. Once again, we want to say, Hannah, we truly, truly appreciate you coming on. But before we go, we always want to say, um, we have all the links below from your site, from your Twitter. Um, but is there anything else you want to plug or that we should be adding to YouTube or to iTunes? Um, so we have two locations. Uh, we have our location in Huntington Valley on Buck Road. Um, and then we also have a secondary tap room in Bristol Borough. It's about a block and a half from the marina. So it is right downtown in historical Bristol. Super walkable. Lots of other uh, local establishments to visit while you're there. Um, and that's a really cool location. Um, the inside tap room just has a, it just has a really cool vibe to it. Um, so yeah, I would definitely encourage people to check out Bristol as well. Uh, Bristol location is open on Sundays and our Buck Road location is not. So, uh, if you're looking to try to get some, some beers on a Sunday, um, you can check out that space too. Um, Definitely, you know, any and all support that people are willing to give us, any other small businesses right now is hugely appreciated. Um, You know, COVID has definitely done a number on small businesses, um, it's done a number on the economy in general, but small businesses are really hurting. Um, So any and all support that you can give is hugely appreciated. And that doesn't even have to just be monetary. Um, It could be in the format of, sharing social media posts. Uh, If you've previously purchased beer from us or purchased a product from another small business, posting about it, um, posting about it in any specialty groups that you may be part of, um, you know, anything like that. It's, it's appreciated. (laughs) We're all, we're all in this together, but we're all trying to survive too. And, and, um, you know, I'm hopeful that, Someday I'll actually be able to raise a pint with you guys in person and not over I Zoom. <laughs> I, know, I would love I, to play some Rock'em Sock'em Robots against you down that tap room you guys have. <laughs> All right. 
no, I, I can't. Yeah, I can't wait for that day either. But yeah, as as Hannah said, if you're in, especially if you're in PA, make the trip out, get some of their beers. They're great. And as she said at the beginning, the cans are available. Get them. They look great. They taste great. And there's no excuse. Just support local all the way. Hannah, once again, we really want to thank you. We truly appreciate you coming on. And in the future, we can't wait to drink with you in person. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on, guys. Uh, thanks again for coming on. So with that, everyone, we say have a good night and cheers. 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 Awesome. All right, Jim. So what questions do we have today? All right. So first up from Game Whisperer Dean. In the 90s, you want to make a mixtape to impress your date, but you only have game soundtracks. What tunes oh. are on the tape? Ooh, la, la. Dates, dates and game soundtracks generally don't they they don't flow jim i had a whole thing in my head when you start talking 90s mixtapes because i might have made it one or two but uh ooh, i mean if you want to impress them you, you hit them with some bloody tears from castlevania or i i guess it depends on the mood you're trying to set but hmm yeah, I don't know. That's weird. Like, oh, you know what? It's 90s. You want to get them in the mood. You're getting ready to go out to the club. You're going to hit them up with some killer instinct. All right, you're going that route. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, I'm going to go. No, don't try to make anything fucking romantic. The only romantic shit you might be able to do is like Donkey Kong Country fucking the aqua or what the hell is it? Oh, called? no, bro. You throw in, you throw in that aqua level from Donkey Kong Country. Yeah. You throw some of those sappier tracks from Final Fantasy VI and from Chrono Trigger. You got oh. some candles lit. You tell me. That's fucking right. You light some goddamn candles and some goddamn. You, <laughs> you get your finest Yankee candle out. Your cinnamon raspberry flavored fucking That's candle, right. and you fucking turn on that goddamn love song from Final Fantasy VI, and you're gonna get you some. Goddamn it! That's right. And in Jim's case, he just closes the door by himself. That's goddamn right. You're gonna find them <laughs> fold between two goddamn cushions, and you're gonna go to town. Goddamn it! Oh, damn it, Jim! Damn it! Uh, damn it! See, this is why we did this after Hannah was on. I hate you, Jim. <laughs> next up, from G to the next level. Since Thanksgiving is upon us, and I hope I'm not too late. You're not too late. We are. What are your favorite foods to have on Thanksgiving? And do you have a special holiday beer to top it off with? Cheers and happy Thanksgiving, guys. Good question. Thanks, G. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I'm i one of those, like, I like it all on Thanksgiving. I'm not a picky, like, I only want this or that. Uh, and I know that's generic. I only wait to Thanksgiving. Like, I don't have turkey, like, actual cooked turkey or or like all the stuffings and shit. I don't have it except for at Thanksgiving. So I kind of like, that's my fill of all that shit. One of my favorite things to do, and if you're from PA, you probably know about Wawa, is uh, they have a gobbler sandwich. And so with my leftovers, I make, I usually use the Hawaiian King rolls and I make little uh, gobbler sliders. So you got the turkey with the gravy, the stuffing, the cranberry sauce, Put it all together and make yourself a little sandwich. That shit's delicious. But I'm also like one of those weird... Well, it's probably not weird. I'm sure a lot of people do it. I like all the little sides. Like I'll have the olives, the deviled eggs, the whatever. Like little just snacky things before. Um, but yeah, because I don't have it any other time of year, I gobble all that shit up. 
Yeah, I mean, same here for the most part with all that. You know what the you know what I fucking pig out on, and I never have it at all for the rest of the year. Goddamn green bean casserole. Yes, I fucking I will eat half the tray because it's a thing that no one else wants really but me. But everyone, there's always that one family member who makes it, and then I see it and I just go mine, 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 mine. Especially with the uh, fried onions. Oh, like you're gonna do without (laughs) fried onions? Fuck out of here. Yeah, that and and Monica makes like a pineapple stuffing, like like there's stuffed mushrooms, like all this shit that I don't have regularly. Right. Yeah, I just. I told Monica, the problem is we made, we didn't have anyone over, but we made food like we did, and we had leftovers for like friggin' three and a half, four days, and I finally, like, as of last night, I was like, I can't, I can't do it anymore. Just toss it. I'm like, just toss out the rest, but man, like, I'm not gonna miss it, but then when the next Thanksgiving comes around, I'll gobble it all right up, and as far as a beer that I paired with it, um, I always use Thanksgiving as my barometer for my first Mad Elf. That's almost always when I have my first one. Like, I bought a six-pack of it, and that's usually my nighttime beer. Throughout the day, I had a uh, Lancaster pumpkin pie um, beer, the pumpkin ale. But, yeah, at night, I'd start doing my Mad Elves. Yeah, we never host Thanksgiving, so my Thanksgiving beer, I mean, I guess I could always bring something, but... (laughs) Jim doesn't do that. (laughs) Come on now. So my Thanksgiving beer always turns out to be whatever's on a tap at the house of choice. Like Skeddy's. Skeddy beer would be delicious. (laughs) Damn it, Jim. All right, next up from Alex Perez. Uh, Going along with my fast food question from a few weeks ago, what are your favorite sit-down restaurants, table service, and your go-to orders? Sit down restaurant. Your yeah, your favorite sit down restaurant. And your go to order there. Oh, I mean, you motherfucker. There's two. Oh, that that's infinite. I mean, because then you could do levels. Like, you talking chain restaurants or are you talking legit nice places? Because there's a big difference there. Yeah, I mean, I'll. Yeah, it's probably like an easy cop out, but I'm gonna go with my most nostalgic, and it was back in my pothead days. And Skettys. no, goddamn, it's not Skeddies. But back in the day, like late, mid to late 2000s, you could go to Applebee's. And that's for me and all my friends who were smokers. We'd go there and you could get an appetizer sampler for like six bucks. So you could get 3,000 calories of food for six goddamn dollars. And we would just sit there all stoned smoking cigarettes and downing all these gigantic platters of food. So that was to go to in the heyday there. Um, if I'm going places like that, I will always go. I worked at multiple fast food or they're not fast food, sit down restaurants. I worked at friendlies, Applebee's, a bunch of other places, friendlies, uh, Turkey club, super melt with you replace the goddamn disgusting thousand Island dressing with ranch dressing in the sandwich with fries. And you know, the Sunday that is just a complete perfect meal. Um, but fancier places, I'd probably go somewhere like in Philly. We have this place called Alma de Cuba. Uh, I love Cuban food, sit-down restaurant, and I go. I always go with uh, smoked marlin tacos and then the flank steak with uh, black beans and rice. That's kind of my go-to there. There you go. Fancy pants. Yeah. Well, we don't have a fancy restaurant we go to enough to, <laughs> to pick one. <laughs> We're scum. <laughs> But also from him, uh, oh, and happy Thanksgiving to you all. Have a healthy one, fellow patrons. Thanks, man. 
You too. Thanks, bud. Thanks, Alex. Next up from Burn Retinas. Movies. Oh, also check out his Balotoge review. He just released today. It's a good one. Uh, movies about boxing seem to be a bigger draw than actual boxing. Films about mixed martial arts still seem niche or just forgettable. Do MMA movies ever need to be a thing? Uh, it's just pro wrestling at that point. The problem with MMA movies and being the resident MMA fanatic, <clears throat> the problem is, yes, like th- boxing, you can get away with a certain amount of this mystique because even in like Rockies. Because it's always and, fixed. Well, it's that, but it's also you can see like in real boxing, you can almost sometimes see cases where guys get knocked down again, back up, whatever. In the MMA movies, they're getting 17 head kicks in a row. They get every goddamn submission under the sun. They're getting slammed. They're getting multiple crosses to the face, uppercut. Like, they're getting hit with all the big shots that would legit end a real fight. And any any person that has just the, the hintiest hint um, would know those MMA movie, like movies are generally fake. And the other problem is every MMA movie, the dude is that atypical MMA douchebag. And it just promotes a stereotype that in boxing movies, my favorite movie of all time is Rocky because Rocky is not an atypical boxer. Like he's an underdog. There's a story behind it. There's not been an MMA movie where the guy isn't just some kind of leveled off douche. Even if he is an underdog in whatever fight he's going for, they're always kind of played by the same atypical type of guys. And that's a hard mold because that's what you think of when you, unfortunately you think of MMA fighters and having been in those gyms enough that's not what those people are like there are some douchebags like that but the movies always portray them the same way every time so yeah and that's why the best mma movie is here comes to boom starring kevin smith i hate you jim (laughs) i actually am interestingly enough it's a good show but it does have the problems i just mentioned uh it's called kingdom on netflix my brother told me about it and it's a good show but the but the characters in it, like I said, they some of them have that atypical MMA fighter look and feel to them, and you're kind of like, oh, this is a bit much. Hey, Warriors a pretty good movie. So Warrior, actually, I really I, okay. That's, I, that, that surprised that's me. Really that surprised me. Movie. Yeah, yeah. But also, Tom Hart. Fuck, I always forget the other guy's name. Um, oh Tom shit! Hart's yeah, brother. He's in so many things, and he's actually really good. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean. But yeah, but Tom Hardy's brother. That that's probably the best MMA. Well, it is the best MMA movie. Here comes the boom. Shut up, Jim. All right, and last up from Eric Lowacki. Are you guys excited for the return of the McRib? You know, it never did anything for me. I, I, it's one of those ones that I never understood the hype. Um, I think it's just the sauce that tastes good about that. Maybe back in the day, it used to be really good, which I didn't have it. I had it when it got its resurgence in like the late 2000, like 2009, maybe 10. I remember trying it then and I was like, oh, that's eh, meh. So honestly, it may be something I just happened to really if i really want to be out and try but i'm not going out of my way so i really couldn't give two shits about it the mcrib is fucking bullshit it's the most overrated (laughs) goddamn fast food goddamn item out there here's our overrated underrated for the week the mcrib it's fucking overrated it's just goddamn look 
I'm a, I'm a fan of the shit food. My body's made up of like 95% shit food. And even I look at the McRib and I taste it and I go, what, 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 what is wrong with you people? Why is there this much hype? Is it the, you can't have this? Like, yeah, the onions and pickle are good. And it's just, it's just fucking mealy fucking leather slapped on with like some decent barbecue sauce. Like it's the bar. I, I have to imagine it's just the bar. It can't be the it obviously can't be the meat. Like that's the only thing I can guess. I don't know. I don't get it. it. It's the limited nature of it. That's the only reason there's any mystique around it. If it was around all year long, no one would care. And Jim, you were someone who would frequently get from Seven Eleven. What was it? The pork flavored or the I will, I will, I will take a goddamn Seven Eleven rib flavored beef patty or fucking their imitation pulled pork over a goddamn McRib any goddamn day. And it's funny because in the group chat, they're like, um, they're like, wait, we're talking about McDonald's, and they're like, wait, you you'll eat a fillet of fish, but you don't like the McRib, and I go, look. The fillet of fish at least has the texture of what it's supposed to be. The fillet McRib is, is disgusting too. Yeah, you throw enough tartar sauce on there. Yeah. I, I, I once again, I I think McDonald's as a whole is the most overhyped of all fast food chains. It used to be something. I there's never been a time where I've had it. I've gone, man, this was enjoyable. <laughs> man, I'm so glad I got anything besides fries at McDonald's. Right. I never really say that either, but. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as all their sandwiches go, they're bottom tier. But yeah. even the Shamrock Shake, which people jerk off over, I don't get because I've had that, and Wawa makes a way better mint shake. Oh yeah, like I, I it's like you 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 hit the nail on the head. It's the limited. Like you make anything limited, yeah, people are gonna like it. Jim, actually, that would have been a perfect thing for you in college and high school if you did want to get any dates. You're like. Ladies, I'm limited. You can only get this for a short time. Short, limited time. <laughs> Much like the downstairs, what you're about to experience. Short and limited. Damn it, Jim. My, it's, uh, I would be curious, like, if somebody was, my only guess is uh, there's some nostalgia because the barbecue sauce, even like you're saying, it's not great. It's okay. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's okay for like trashy fast food, but yeah, I don't, it's just, it's more of hype and mystique over quality. <clears throat> so yeah, fuck the McRib. I don't care when it comes back. Give me my bacon mushroom melt for the love of God. Why does that never come back enough? But the McRib's always around like three times a year. Wendy's, step up your game, man. Get that shit back. Yeah. The breakfast is decent. It's okay. Haven't tried it yet. It's not bad. The, uh, the maple chicken sandwich, it's solid. Dude, you know who has banging ass breakfast? Taco Bell. They they're not bad. I do like them. Uh, Chick Fil A. Oh, dude, come on now. The the god tier sandwich. You get the you get the chicken, egg, and cheese on a bagel and add bacon to it. <laughs> no, but like Chick Fil A was already like, I was getting tired of it because my wife really liked it. And I'm sorry. Every time you go to Chick-fil-A, you spend way too much money. You do finish your meal and you're always still just a little bit hungry. And you always have to get a side of nuggies. Even after your like fries, yeah, you need some nuggies like, to finish it off. And the fries there, like they, they're not that good. The sauces you dip them in are always, what's a good thing. I love the, the texture. I love, but the flavor of them is always meh, but like their chicken sandwiches are great. And their nuggets are great. But yeah, their breakfast, man, it hits a different way. Yeah, their their breakfast. Oh, their the breakfast burrito too. Mm-mm-mm. That is a damn good burrito they got I going on there. They had a breakfast burrito now. Yes, I they do. Get there tomorrow morning. 
Yep. No, it, it's good. So, nice. yeah, that rounds out the Patreon questions. So thanks to you once again, everyone. No, we really appreciate it. Thank you for supporting us. And with that, we're going to close out the episode, even though we kind of already did. But until next time, guys, make sure you get those questions in the gym. And uh, have a good night and cheers. Cheers. <laughs>